It is a new year, and it is the new slate of 500 episodes. It's the road to 1,000, friends, here on the Chair Shop Podcast, coming to you on the 3rd of January, 2021. Uh, I might try and say that a couple of times over the course of the broadcast here as I go back to work tomorrow, and I will surely be doing that wrong. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Barry, here. Joined, as always, as I have been for the last, now nearly 11 years, the last 500 episodes. First of all, Mr. Paul Griffin. It's a new year. It's a new generation. Whose theme song was that? Legacy. Uh, and also, the Ted DiBiosity Jr. of the podcast, <laughs> star of the Marine 2, lest we forget, Mr. Joe Towner. It's the 10th annual CSP Awards, dung, 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 outstanding achievement in the field of the last year. Oh, we should, we should, how, how do, how do we, this podcast, not have a, well, we don't watch The Simpsons, but we should have a Simpsons award in our yearly awards. Um, and, 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 and 2020's best Simpsons episode is whatever one we picked in that thing we did a few weeks ago. I can't even remember. What was it? The monorail? No, that last. It was, um, Star, not Stars Burns. That lost as well, didn't it? What one? I actually can't remember what no, one. Star, Stars Burns won. Stars, I, thought I, Home, yeah. I thought Homer Badman won. Or was that no. runner-up? That was runner-up. That was runner-up. That was runner-up. Because well, you, of all people, voted against the Monorail episode. Yeah, I've changed my mind. I watched Lisa the Iconoclast a few days ago, and that's now my favourite episode. So, Okay, that is a good one. I don't think we even had that. Well, again, we were working off that weird list that, that like, if we were, I mean, if we were to sit down and maybe we, you know, we've, we've now done 10 years of talking about The Simpsons. Maybe this will be our, our project for the next 10 years. If we were to sit down and do an actual tournament of all the Golden Age episodes and, and, and figure out seeding before we did it, I mean, we could, we could go, you know, um, for God knows well, how look, long. Look, obviously... It's a little early in the year to, and, and in the episode to be pl- planning this year's um, <laughs> Simpsons feature. Yeah. But if the way to do it, presumably, would be we do some sort of, like, we each pick our own top 20 in no order. Right. And then, and then we could seed it by votes. Presumably, we'd come up with roughly 30 episodes from, you know, 20... Yeah. Um, we did it already last year. Come on, leave it a while. We'll go back to that well. We do a Futurama, best Futurama. Ooh. <laughs> Only the first four seasons, I know that re- revival shit. No, I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually back watching that, that po- <clears throat> the post revival stuff currently. It's good. I like it. I've, yeah. I, I've, it's, 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 um, yeah, it's solid. Um, I never listened to that pod. They put out a podcast or two, didn't they? Uh, audio only episodes. Hmm. Um, yeah, anyway, we're back after our, our wee break. We usually have our wee break there. Uh, last show before Christmas, and then we come back in January. We're back now. Uh, I'd imagine, as as was the style for most of 2020, lads, I don't have a whole lot of news um, stemming from the holidays. Got lots of lovely gifts. Um, very happy with that. Um, that was about it. Um, uh, uh, messed around with the gifts. We'll talk about some of the gifts on the 
over the course of this show in the game guff and whatnot. Um, I'm going to try and not fidget with my favorite gift, which is a, a pop socket on the back of my phone, um, which is kind of, I think, like a fidget spinner for adults. I mean, I'm just yeah, sitting yeah. here popping it and fiddling with it and, and like, um, uh, yes, being very annoying, um, but I love it. Um, yeah. I, I it's, I've played with this about as, as much as I've played with the two brand new AAA video games I got, but um, yeah. So yeah, Christmas was nice. Christmas was nice. Went home, saw Mam. She liked her gifts. Mam has a new dog who's very who's very very small and very friendly. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was nice to spend uh, Christmas with the the little doggy dog. Um. Uh, watched some absolutely horrendous television. Um, uh, I mean, like, so terribly bad that Mam was just going back to her typical non-Christmas routine of just having Judge Judy on all day, um, which is which is its own kind of unique brand of hell, but whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I I really did not get, uh, get up to too much over the holidays. What about you, lads? What did you get up to? It was weirdly not that different from most Christmases, to be honest, even in spite of the lockdown. Um, yeah. Because normally we just sit in, watch films, <laughs> eat food, <laughs> go for a walk once a day. And that's what we did this year as well. So, um, yeah. It, but it, it didn't it didn't feel quite as enjoyable in the context of 2020 somehow. Um, I think probably because we've been doing that all fucking year. Every day is Christmas. Um so it was it was good though. I got I got some nice gifts. I got a little um, charging stand for the switch, um, which was very nice. Although when it turned up, it was incredibly small. It was like a little charging stand for ants. It's a, literally like an inch wide. This stand, um, showing myself for both, uh, quite surprised. But it does the job. I can plug my USB C into it, and it, it charges the switch while I play it uh, on the old coffee table. So that's that does the job. Um, but yeah, other than that. Good. Um, we rang in the new year by watching uh, Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman and Kevin Spacey. So uh, we'll be reviewing that later on in, in Movie Guff. Uh, that, that was about it for Christmas. Of course, Kevin Spacey's latest YouTube video, Let Me Be Outbreak. <laughs> uh, what about you, Paul? Oh, I don't know. It's been, um, I've been a bit down this Christmas. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just been a bit of a shitty two weeks, to be honest. Um, okay. Aside from Christmas itself, which was all right. Uh, so as we talked last time, uh, one of our guinea pigs weren't well, so we put her to sleep. Mm, well. And then we rehomed the other one because we didn't want to just keep one guinea pig yeah. all alone. So Binky's gone to a new home. Oh, Guinea's gone with her sister to the guinea pig cage beyond. Mm. Um, so yeah, for the first time since 20... I want to say 2016, we're petless. We have no pets anymore. Mm. Of the hundreds that have passed through our doors since then. So that was the first thing. That was that was a bit a bit sucky. And, you know, we, we know that with Binky, we've done the right thing. She's happy where she is now. She wouldn't have been happy here. We, we saw that in the day that she was here without her, uh, her sister, uh, you could see she wasn't happy. She wasn't having a good time. Um, and then... For like a couple of days, in the way that Barry said that he'd be writing the wrong date down, um, I had that thing where I'd see that like, oh, it's eight o'clock, better feed the guinea pigs, and oh, oh no, so, I, just a few little things where I'd hear a little squeak and I think, oh, is that them? And then of course it's not them, things like that. Um, 
so that was i think like the 21st 22nd of december <laughs> so that was like right before christmas um and then obviously the covid cases have shot right back up so we also had the blandest least climactic new year's eve i think i've ever <laughs> experienced where it was just me natty and my family sitting around watching jules holland clips of like franz ferdinand from 2004 and then it went new year and then we uh, uh, had to drink pepsi and we went to bed <laughs> I, new, new year's telly that that is easily the worst night of telly um, of the year. Like Christmas is bad, the weird collections of films on at all times and whatever. Fair enough. New Year's telly is so abominable. It is so horrendous. Like I, I remember from most of my college years, a friend of mine, his family would host a, a New Year's get together, and I loved that. It was great. And since they've stopped doing that, I have had. Obviously, this one was spent in, and I knew it was spent in. That's fine. But like the last couple of years, I, you know, we've had like plans that have gone tits up for various reasons. And and I, I I'm usually like, okay, fair enough, whatever. I'll just live with it and I'll watch a bit of telly. And then I actually sit down to watch what New Year's telly is, and I'm like, oh, now I am depressed. Oh my god, it's just like yeah, um, clip shows of of like late night talk shows that are bad anyway. And uh, RT usually not this year, obviously, but they usually have some shit concert in Dublin that they're just showing on oh my god it's absolutely horrible um yeah new year's and new year's was was fairly quite we we literally played checkers um on on new year's night uh, in this in this apartment um, well we would usually like i'd have um a friend come over we play poker or or something you know even that couldn't happen this year because ireland is in lockdown and was in full lockdown on new year's eve so nothing happened um yeah. and in addition to all that ironically with the virus and everything that's been going on in 2020 i've had a pretty good year health wise sure uh, and of course last year last week of the year i got a bit sick <laughs> so um on the on the benelin day and nights little uh little uh bunged up nose and and all that which i haven't had all year which is um I've had a, quite a good year away from all that but last last week of the year natty got a bit sick and then i got a bit sick but um mostly better now i think maybe today today was maybe the first day since the guinea pigs went where i haven't felt in a bit of a rut where i'm just a funk where i'm just looking out a window and don't really know what to do it myself um so yeah, it was a just not a very fun time. You know, any time we had where we could watch movies or watch TV or play video games, at least kind of kept my my mind busy. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The, the, those two weeks of maybe the closest I've ever felt to like you know depressed or whatever term you want to use, but it was just awful. <laughs> it was just the worst. Um, but at least we're here doing this podcast, and that'll pick up my spirits. And we'll talk about what is our favorite movie of the year and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, that's, that's, um, this is, I, I, I enjoy the show. It's a good, uh, it's a good bookmark for the week. Um, and indeed to, to get you going for the next week. So that's good. Also, I've um, been watching a lot of football and a lot of the darts, which is its own kind of the Christmas, darts. Christmas, uh, tradition now. 
uh, the darts final is actually on right now, and I don't even have it on in the background because it's kind of the equivalent of if you're a United fan, as Joe and myself are, and the FA Cup final ended up being like Chelsea against Arsenal. I just might not bother, and that's kind of what happened with the darts. All the all your favorite little, you know, darts players with their you know ruddy faces and big ham like arms, big Bobby uh, Bobberson, and, uh, big Bobby, big big Bobby Belder, Charlie Charlie uh, Sweaty Bollocks, and, <laughs> and Bobby the, the Horse, Dicky the Dick. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the like quirky fun darts players have been eliminated and it's just like the two least fun are left Gary Anderson, Gerwin Price. Oh not even <laughs> bothered watching that mate. Tapped out on that when that semi final result came in. Um but yeah, the sport has been one of the things that's kind of gone good over the Christmas holidays. The football results have all been great. Yep. Uh, the darts was fun. Michael Van Gerwen, who's like the best darts player in the world got beaten 5-0 in his quarterfinal which was quite fun to watch um, so yeah that's kind of all that happened I, I got nice presents I'd be uh, remiss for, of me not to say that I got very nice presents I got a, um, a special collector's edition box of Legend of Zelda collector's guides Ooh. from that uh, one of them I'm going to do a little boast here one of them is exclusive to the set, right? And if you want to buy that book on its own, it's it's obviously it's cheaper to buy the set, so nobody would do this. But if you want to get the book on its own, if for some reason you've... There's six books in the set. If for some reason you've got five of them and you only need that one, uh, it goes on Amazon for $600. Ooh. So I'm going to hang on to that little box for a few years and, of course, read all the books. It has all the... has my favorite, uh, favorite Zelda game in it, as well as Ocarina of Time... Um, Skyward Sword, two 3DS ones, uh, Wind Waker. Oh, the Wind Waker guide looks is such a nice book. I love. I flick through. I was like, oh my god, this book is so fucking nice just to look at. Um, which I don't even want to count, but I think that brings my Zelda book collection up to like twenty nine or something. <laughs> Some Jeez. crazy amount of books I have now. Oof, would have thought um, there's that many. Yeah, I was about to say. I know, yeah. I just I find them. I find them in little little French book websites and stuff. <laughs> um, I also got uh, a nice pair of headphones for myself. Nice. Sony Sony XM threes with noise cancelling. It's cool. It's like you're sitting in a little vacuum. You can't even hear mm. anyone talking to you. Um, and then you know some. Uh, Fun old video games. I got um, WarioWare Inc. on the GameCube. And I got Snowboard Kids on the N64, which was one of my old childhood memories. I never actually owned that game, but one of my friends did. And uh, someone very kindly, Natty very kindly got me that. So, yeah, present-wise was a good Christmas. Yeah. Uh, one thing I was doing all over the Christmas as well was I, I started reading more uh, comics. Um, I had a, a, one of those uh, a Marvel sub already the, to their, their subscription service. They had a sale on for it was like um, an annual subscription for like 20% off or something. So I got that. 
So I've been reading a little bit of that. I read some Christmassy issues. I mean, they they had little comp. It's a good app. They've they they've done. They've got little compilations that are like, oh, if you're new to this character, read this. Oh, you want to read this arc that was done in in such and such movie? You can read that here. It's it's all really good. And they had a compilation of Christmas um, uh, um, uh, stories. And I read there was a, a, a an X Men comic that was literally just twenty five short Christmas stories. One of which was written by Christopher Daniels. Um, which was good. He wrote a story about um, Beast, um, uh, you know, Frasier. Um, uh, yeah, so I read that and, and uh, uh, a one-off uh, Punisher Christmas story. Uh, yeah, so I'm just uh, I'm going to try and read more, well, not just comics, but just read more in general in the new year, uh, but also get some use out of those apps. I finished Watchmen over the Christmas break, uh, which I enjoyed, obviously, very good. Um and I'm currently reading, at the recommendation of a pal of mine, uh, the writer Dan Slott, who I was vaguely familiar with. I'd heard the name, but apparently he's a very, very, very acclaimed uh, Spider-Man writer. So I started reading some of his stuff, uh, which I am enjoying. First two issues I read were, were really good. So uh, actually, and it's it's it seems like it is literally the direct inspiration for the previous Spider-Man game. Um, it's um, you know, Peter Parker. He's slightly older, but things that aren't going his way. Anyway, his aunt volunteers at this shelter, and there's this guy there called Mister Lee, who has a, who is secretly Mister Negative. That is literally the, the events of the first episode uh, uh, comic that I read, which is also the premise of the the game. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah. So so reading the comic books um, into 2021, but. We don't have a comic guff on this show. At least we don't yet. But we do have a telly guff, lads. And have we been watching much telly over the course of the break? I have been watching a little bit. Finally started that season two of Mandalorian. Yeah. Uh, which is good. Again, <laughs> it's it's as good as it was in season one, some might say. Uh, I am nearly done. I think we have two episodes left. We'll try and finish that maybe tonight after this show. Um, it's good. Um, well, not super into it, getting into the Jedi stuff. I'm like, eh, don't really care. Got 17 films about that. Don't really need anything else. But um, but nonetheless, it's still good. Um, uh, great to see Carl, Carl Weathers back. I thought the episode he directed was really good. Um, Sasha Banks was, you know, good. She's obviously not a, um actor, you know, in the traditional Hollywood sense. But I think she... Um, she was all right in her in her role. Uh, yeah, so two episodes left. I'm, I'm interested to see how it finishes out. And I don't think I watched anything else other than I'm still watching Curb. I'm into season two. Uh, yeah, and it's, you know, it's Curb. It's good. So uh, what about you, lads? Uh, well, we started Drag Race of the RuPaul variety. Season 13 started on Friday. This Friday gone. So we're back to that, where men dress up as women and oh yeah, all that crack and have a good old time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's fun. It, it's funny because they're this is the first season now post COVID, so they have to have uh, all the all the little judges are sitting in in these little glass boxes like Michael Cole in twenty eleven. <laughs> um, but no, it, it is quite good. I, I always have, I said to Natty this week, I always have a fear when we start a new season of Drag Race where I'm like, what if I don't like the drag queens on this one? But they always, they always turn out to be fun and nice. Um, we finished off a few shows as well. We, 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 um, 
what do we finish off? We finish off watching Steven Universe Future, which was the follow-up miniseries to Steven Universe, which is a cartoon. I don't know what channel it's on. Cartoon Network? It's a Cartoon Network thing, isn't it? Yeah. 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 First half of Steven Universe Future, up to where we had stopped, I didn't like it all. I thought it was pretty useless. And the second half was really good. Weird how that happened. Um, yeah, they it got into some really... <laughs> for a cartoon, for a 10-minute long cartoon on Cartoon Network, it got into some really deep themes about like belonging and growing up. and I thought it was really, really good. Uh, finished season one of Gilmore Girls. Got to the end of season one. Um, oh my god, that second to last episode, Lorelai was just the most annoying person in the world. That, do you remember, Joe? She does the shopping for Luke and she's making him try on clothes, even though he, he knows. Well, it's when Rachel is back in town and Luke is, is asking her to stay. Right. Right. But then simultaneously, Lorelai's like, here, I bought you 13 oh, outfits. Boy. Try them on in the shop. Yeah. Oh, my God. What a complete psychopath. Um, yeah, like this season a lot. We'll get on season two uh, shortly. Um, yeah, I, I'm definitely uh, on board with that show. I mean, I was on board before we finished the season, to be honest. But yeah, um, sure. very, very good. I'm trying to remember, is there anything else? We started watching Fruits Basket on Crunchyroll again. We've. I made a little notepad file on my phone, like Barry does for the um, predictions of shows that we either have started already or are like just imminent. Like we we've watched two seasons of Gil of a show. We need to watch the third season. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Where is my notes tab on what? How do you work this phone? <laughs> Jesus. Wait a minute. Notes. I've oh my god. I'm like an old man. Oh I got it. Okay. Um oh it's not even on there. It's on my tablet. It's not oh Jesus. What an oh what a cretin I am. So this is the list of shows. And Natty is gonna get anxiety as I list this out. She do you want to leave the room? <laughs> she act- she's actually leaving the room. She doesn't want to hear about how many shows we have to watch. Okay, so this is... She's gone now. This is the list of shows in our imminent future, okay? Twin Peaks The Return, which is the last season. Avatar The Last Airbender Season 3, which is the last season. Fruits Basket Season 2, which we're currently watching. Attack on Titan Season 4, which is the last season. Gilmore Girls Season 2, Drag Race Season 13, Drag Race UK Season 2, which starts in two weeks, Adventure Time Seasons 8, 9, and 10, uh, Scrub Season 3, which I watch along with the podcast, Grey's Anatomy Season 3, Death Note, which we're going to restart from the beginning, because we just, I don't know where we stopped watching that, uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stardust Crusaders, Lost Season 3, and The Soup, which we just watch Meaning- meaninglessly. There's no uh, order to that. Uh, so yeah, we finished Twin Peaks. I, I didn't mention we finished Twin Peaks season one as well. It was great. Um, what about you, Joe? Oh, uh, we finished Gilmore Girls uh, rewind for the year. So um, last last couple of seasons do go off the boil a bit, but I, th- I think the last sort of few episode stretch does kind of pick it up really. Like I, I really love that that last kind of stretch. Um, so that was good. Do you, do you include the what's the follow up mini series? A, a day in the year of a life of the okay. Gilmore woman. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. And do you do you watch that as part of your rewatch? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Because I've seen bits of that, obviously with no context whatsoever, because Natty was just watching in right. the background while I was playing Donkey Kong or something. But I will get around to that. It's um yeah, that, that show is not very good. Um I enjoyed it the first time we watched it, just because you get to see all of the characters suddenly pop up and do a cameo, and it's like, oh my god, it's that guy! Look at him now, eight years older, um, looks horrendous, and that kind of thing. <laughs> watching, <laughs> watching it the McCarthy's <laughs> here. Oh, watching it the second time through without that novelty, it was yeah less enjoyable. But uh, yeah, um, still a good show overall. Um, over Christmas, watched a couple of shows, um, kind of nostalgia fests. So on Channel 4, they did a four-part series looking back at their best shows of each decade. So 80s, 90s, uh, 2000s, and, and the 2010s. Um, did a kind of countdown of each decade. Now I'm a sucker for a, a TV countdown show. I will watch any old shit if it's in the form of a countdown. Um, Channel 5, uh, when 80s go wrong, countdown four hours long on a friday night i'll watch that brilliant so they they had me here uh, and it was quite fun it, it, it a lot of kind of big shows that you'd think like brookside and big brother and things like that but some kind of forgotten shows as well that was that was kind of nice and they had a lot of the original kind of presenters and actors and things like that so that was pretty cool the one for the 2010s was funny because uh, every show on there was shit <laughs> that decade was awful i think we should just forget it um gogglebox was number one which i do enjoy but the rest of it was just all this awful stuff like celebrity sas oh. Oh, god who gives a shit about that um, so that was an okay show, and then I also watched on, on BBC Two. They had a four-part series called "Celebrity in the 21st Century," which was about the nature of celebrity in the 21st century. Um, so it was kind of going from like uh, Big Brother and reality shows to the talent shows like Pop Idol and X Factor, moving on to kind of influencers and social media and YouTube and all this kind of stuff. It was kind of interesting, but it didn't really get below the surface at all. I thought it was actually going to be like a proper documentary on the nature of celebrity. And all it really did was talk about various people that were famous <laughs> over the last 20 years. Well, just like a profile piece. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just kind of went from person to person. Like it went Katie Price to Jade Goody to One Direction. To, and, it, and it kind of was commenting on like why they became famous or how and how that kind of changed. But they didn't really have any kind of like experts on there talking about, you know, what this really means or anything. It was kind of a bit, bit glossy, but yeah, it was fine. The best, um, the best part of it was actually the theme song, which was Overnight Celebrity by Twister, which was a song I haven't heard in, in about 20 years. So uh, <laughs> that was, that was the best part. But uh, yeah, that was the main, that was the main telly uh, over, the, over the Christmas period. Okay, are we going to give our first award of the night out? So Beep this is our award show. Let's not forget. Okay. Uh, sure. Yeah. So this is our award show, the chair shot. Uh, OTYs. And yeah, this is Telegraph. So we will do a TV show of the year. Who wants to go first? Well, I think my vote counts for the least. So I'm going to go first. Go um, I was looking through Rotten Tomatoes best TV shows of the year. They, they have a countdown of, you know, aggregated scores given to these TV shows. And I was seeing all the notable shows of the year, you know, your, um, your normal people, your, uh, what else do they have? 
Queen's uh, Queen's Gambit. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the all the shows that for a month here and there were t- uh, Tiger Freak, whatever that show was called. <laughs> <laughs> Tiger Freak. Um, Tiger Freak. <laughs> what was it? What? Tiger, Tiger King. King. Tiger King. All your all your splash in the pan shows of the moment. Uh, when I got to the end of the list, I had only seen two of them. So I've not seen a lot of those shows. Um, so I've given honorable mentions to um, Steven Universe Future, as I just talked about. I thought a really, a really strong second half. Uh, Rick and Morty. Yeah. Which I thought was a return to form. Mm-hmm. Um, but by virtue of being a show in 2020, what I watched that was quite good even though I don't think it's worthy of a best of the year award. Um, my TV show of the year, my the best TV show I watched this year was actually Twin Peaks. So I'll just get it out of the way first. But TV show of the 2020, um, I'll give to the very solid and consistent season two of The Mandalorian. Mm. I thought it was better in the first series. Have you, um, have you finished it now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finito, finito. Finito, okay, cool. Finito. Um, in terms of the, I won't talk too much about the finale. Obviously, um, I thought it was mostly good, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it was mostly good. Um, I will say no more than that until Barry's seen it, at which point we can properly talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I thought it was mostly good, and I think that's something I can say for the season overall. I thought every episode was mostly good. Um, there's definitely a little bit too much of reliance on um tiny sets being reused for like the same corridor being used for <laughs> shooting stormtroopers down corridor after corridor that all the same yeah um too much short stormtroopers overall um it is it is interesting how uh, as i was watching it i was just like just like the sequel movies they know it's like we we have to have stormtroopers. They they have to fight stormtroopers, or no one's going to care. So they have their. Thankfully, the movies established that there are still stormtroopers. Well, one thing I liked in season one early on was that they had stormtroopers, but they were like grimy, dirty stormtrooper outfits that like thieves had come across and were using. Do you remember with uh, Werner Herzog? His little yeah. Thing. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then by the time he gets into it, it's, no, it's just stormtroopers now. Yeah, now it's just stormtroopers. Yeah, but yeah, that's my my uh, my winner. Cool. I'm um, I struggle to get yeah to find TV shows this year to to even give honorable mentions to because I didn't all those ones you mentioned I, I didn't watch. Um, kind of just rewatched old stuff. Um, so the only the only two shows that came down to were really an honorable mention for season four of The Crown which was a return to form after quite a boring season three. Um, but pipped to the post by season two of The Mandalorian. Um, oh. Which I um, did thoroughly enjoy. I enjoyed it more than the, the first season. Um, could have done with a bit more uh, Baby Yoda, but um, <laughs> enjoyable, enjoyable nonetheless. Um, it was quite a bit more sort of Jedi and Stormtrooper stuff in this one, but it didn't ruin it for me. I kind of would worry about where they go with the next season, but we'll, that's that's for next year or the year after, whenever it's coming. Um, but yeah, for this year, Mandalorian was definitely the thing I, I look forward to most and enjoyed the most. Barry? 
yeah, I am very much in the same boat as you lads. I did not... I was not bowled over by a lot of TV this year, uh, to be to be quite honest. Yeah, um, uh, you know, I didn't love it, but honorable mention to Tiger King. I did watch all of it, like at, when everyone else was watching all of it. Um, you know, I was looking up a few lists earlier in the day, and so a lot of the stuff I didn't just kind of didn't watch. We're getting to the stage now where some shows have a little bit of buzz, but they're like on american streaming services that we don't have and they don't have deals over here um you know like i like that harley quinn show but like the second season just hasn't shown up over here yet and we don't have access to their their service um haunting of blind manor was okay a bit of a disappointment relative to the first one but still enjoyed it uh, gangs of london thought was pretty good um uh, uh lovecraft country i very much enjoyed um that that was a, a close runner mandalorian season two not finished yet but I'll, I'll throw that in there for the um uh, uh the honorable mention so far I, i'm not okay with this the netflix faux superhero thing mm-hmm. uh but my number one uh pick for the year my favorite was uh the boys season mm-hmm. two which uh, was, I don't think I liked it as much as season one, but I thought it was pretty close. And uh, I, I, it, it was different from season one as well. So it's not, it's not a like and like, um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, the boys, that's my, my pick. Nice. There you go. So uh, yeah, uh, that was the first word. We will move into our next segment here, which is a movie of, uh, I rewatched some stuff over the break, which I will uh, run through here. Uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home, rewatched, which I still very much enjoyed. Um, you know, good fun, um, a good mix of things going on there. It, it covers all its bases, and a, a great stinger to set up the next one. Home Alone Two, of course, uh, that was on telly. I did not go out of my way to watch that. Um, the other night I rewatched for the first time in a long, long time, Urban Legend, mm-hmm. uh, which is the sort of uh, 1998 Jared Leto, Michael Rosenbaum, Tara Reid, all the 90s uh, uh, stars came out for that one. Uh, it's good fun. It's not like amazing, make sure you watch it every Halloween type thing, but it's a good kind of uh, post-scream uh, and kind of faux scream movie uh, where I think the gimmick does a lot of the heavy lifting, but it's a, you know, it's a solid gimmick. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's kind of a scream ish movie, but where the killer is uh, reenacting um, uh, classic urban legends. The, uh, the um, you'll, you'll recognize quite a few of them as you watch the film. It's great. You got Robert England there in a, in a, in a cameo as well, which I appreciated. Uh, it's solid. Yeah. Uh, in terms of new movies that I had not seen before, uh, I did not get around to watching The Godfather, unfortunately, oh. uh, which I which I am very disappointed in. Uh, but I, I will try and make time for it there for next week. I actually watched a rake of twenty twenty movies uh, to round off the year here. Uh, just uh, watched Death to twenty twenty. Have any of you watched that yet? Uh, I watched about two minutes of it. Yeah, yeah, it's not that good it's um like i looked it up after the fact because obviously this is you know a, a new charlie brooker joint who i think we're all, we're all partial to for all his ups and downs uh but i looked it up after that and it's got like loads of credited writers i'm like what 
It's like all you did is go, ooh. Then Donny Trump was in a reed treacle. And it, how did it take seven of you to write this? It's it's just it's 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 a very sort of unfunny, dry um, splitting the difference between like a a twenty twenty wipe. And I don't even know what I don't know what the other half it's splitting with because it's not Black Mirror. It's basically it's basically a twenty twenty recap show. But they've but all the talking heads are fi- are like characters. It's like Sam, Sam Jackson and Lisa Kudrow, and um, you know Lisa Kudrow is good in it. I thought she was funny, but it's like it's just like a bunch of a bunch of uh, rather than actual like interesting people or experts or comedians, they have a bunch of actors reading bad jokes about the year and and sort of just generally recapping it. It was it was rubbish. It was really disappointing. Quite bad. I rewatched. Um antiviral wipe uh, that yeah Brooker did back in like it was april may, april, may yeah. that was, that's great it's just as good as the other uh, the screen wipes and the the news wipes that he used to do yeah um like i wish you just been off black mirror and all that shit and just get back to doing wipes that's what you're good at brooker get back to it yeah uh, so yeah, that was that wasn't that good. Um, also on the 2020 end of things, I watched the hunt with um, Betty Gilpin from Glow. Uh, that is this kind of like like very mildly controversial film. I think that was supposed to come out in twenty nineteen got got uh, delayed. It's about like these like um, like uh, rich sort of elites who kidnap a bunch of um uh you know what they think are like redneck uh like basically a bunch of like what they think are redneck conservatives and throw them into a battle royale type mm-hmm. situation um it's it's amusing it's got uh, yeah, so Betty Gilpin's in it uh, Glenn Howerton from Always Sunny is in it um it's interesting i think it's kind of funny that if that if um it kind of bucks a lot of the Hollywood trends and that it is kind of uh, turning the, 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 the criticism back on like coastal elites in a way that I think is interesting. But I, I think it just kind of, it pokes at those topics, but it does not, it doesn't have much meaningful to say beyond that very basic premise, I think. Um, and there's a lot of uh, like really kind of eye rolly dialogue. Like if you thought maybe this is a, a movie where they might they might flip the switch and have the 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 country bumpkins be relatable, it's like every every other line is like, oh, let me tell you about the conspiracy the cocks got going on. It's like, oh, dear me. It's, it, a, lot of it, a lot of it is very cringe. A lot of it is kind of like, not even cur- like, it, it's very like five year ago kind of buzzwordy dialogue and it's, it's a shame. Because I, I think actually as a kind of uh, 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 like a black comedy like action horror movie hybrid it's actually really good i i do think people should check this movie out if 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 that's the kind of thing they're into it's um uh it's got some uh some gnarly wipeouts as sam jackson once once said it's got some people getting wiped out um it's got some some uh, great action set pieces and some cool fight scenes one it's just i i i so so you you will you will cringe at some of the um um, uh, uh, ripped from the headlines dialogue in it is, is all I will say. Um, and then I watched uh, Soul, which is the latest Pixar um, uh, film, uh, straight to Disney Plus. 
Uh, Pixar movies is the type of thing I actually don't mind watching on just on the telly. Um, I, I don't feel like it's the type of thing I would have to go to the cinema to see. And it's lovely. I, I, I really, really, really liked it. It's it's heartfelt. It's sweet. Um, uh, it's it's visually stunning. It's it's kind of the most I have felt like um, Pixar's on the cutting edge, if you know what I mean. Like, I, I remember as a kid looking at Toy Story and going, oh, my God, the toys are moving on the road. Ah, like, you know, <laughs> like thinking that obviously those movies haven't aged very well. Um, but, you know, and I remember, like, I watched WALL-E just recently, and, and I think that movie still looks great. But, you know, you know, stuff like The Good Dinosaur and even Inside Out, which is great. It, you're not, like, you're not, like, blown away by the visual fidelity of it. It's very, um, it's very cartoony. Whereas uh, Soul, I think, just, it does look stunning in, in, in parts. Uh, it's great. It's great. Not, not in the top five all-time greatest Pixar's, but it's in the, um, uh, it is certainly in the good half. Uh, I, I would definitely say that. And uh, it's Peter Peter Doctor, is it? Who directed it? He's the he's the he's he's, he's your Wally. He's your Inside Out. He's the good one. Um, he does the smart uh, intellectual Pixar. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh! Think it's just for children, do you? I think you'll be surprised, sir. Oh. Uh, and then I actually watched a twenty twenty one film what? Uh, obviously just published there in the last uh, day or two uh, on netflix the minimalist less is now which is a less than an hour long documentary uh by or about i can't really tell how involved they are these people called the minimalists who are podcasters um and they here's what i gleaned from this documentary which i thought was shit they they don't own that much mm. And that's their philosophy, and they somehow are rich off of this by doing a podcast about it, about how, hey, man, um, you know, um, don't buy that extra jacket if you don't need it. It's just going to sit in your closet, and you're going to be, you're going to, it's not going to fulfill you as a person, man. And that's their gimmick. And they're not even, they're not even, they're not even like hippies, like sell your iPhones, live in the woods. They live in like normal people houses, and they have fancy blenders, and they have uh, PCs. But they're like, hey, man, just, um, you know, don't. Don't buy things. You don't need it. I, I cannot fathom how these people are famous. It's absolutely bizarre. And, uh, and why there was a, a documentary made about them, I did not get at all. Um, so that was bad. So 2021 is off to a bad start. Um, so uh, it's it's bad. And I... I Cause so like in the first part of the documentary, they've got some like economists on and some experts, and they're talking about you know the psychological reasons people hoard things, and and they're talking about you know um, a little bit like that Netflix social media documentary. They're talking about how you know the algorithms, blah 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 blah. They know uh, how to push your buttons to make you buy things. I'm like okay, okay, not mind blowing, but okay, interesting. You know maybe moving away from social media into you know consumerism and how we're we all live shitty lives that we try to fill with with products. And then it's just and these guys um, say that that's bad, and they go on tours and they do live shows and they had pre-pandemic footage of these lads performing in front of like a full auditorium of people. I'm like, what the fuck? And they're just they just talk about how oh, I'm not fulfilled by this second iPad. I just don't. I'm like, what? What the fuck is this? <laughs> it's like a it's like a less charming version of uh, what's her name, the little lady who does the oh, does it bring you joy? Um, what's her name? Marie Kondo. Yeah, it's like a less charming version. I couldn't believe it, it was shit. 
Um, but it's, it was only 50 minutes. I almost want people to watch it and come back to me and say, a- am I mental or or is this terrible? <laughs> um, but yeah. Well, you say that, Barry, but it sounds like it's your film of the year so far. It, well, it is. It's, it's, it's Scientifically, it's number one on the list. And I can't, I mean, if someone says, oh, yeah, name a, name a better film from 21, I would be stumped. Um, so, so that shut me up, but, uh, yeah, that was all the, the films I watched this week. What about you boys? What have you been watching? And then we'll segue into the, uh, the award. Ooh, what have we got here? Oh, a few films. Um, start off by saying we actually watched all eight of the Muppet movies, uh, cool. over Christmas, uh, between managed to get all of them between Disney plus and now TV. Um, I won't review them this week. I'm going to save it for next week and do a Muppets super countdown. Um, tell you to you which ones are the best which ones are the worst uh, save, that for next, save that for next week um but over christmas also watched uh, jojo rabbit which was uh really good i thought um i know there's a lot of hype around it at the start then there seemed to be a bit of a backlash as oh it's not actually that good but i don't know but i thought it was it was really good i really liked the, the main kid in it mm. I thought it was kind of an interesting take i think uh Waikatititi, I'm going to butcher his name now. Waikatititi um, was really, he was kind of good as Hitler because it was just a completely um, unfaithful portrayal of Hitler, um, but in a small boy's kind of imaginations, which I've made it okay. Um, but I like that. And I thought the the actresses in it were, were fantastic as well, Scarlett Johansson and the young girl as well. Also features a turn from our, our own Stephen Merchant, uh, who does a, a very good Nazi. Um, so yeah, Jojo Rabbit, very, very, did, did, tweak the old emotions had some good laughs in it as well thought it was a really good film uh, as i mentioned on new year's eve as the clock struck 12 we were watching outbreak starring four academy award winners <laughs> wow. uh, dustin hoffman cuba gooding jr kevin spacey and morgan freeman um so essentially it's a, an outbreak it's a pandemic a monkey gets loose in america and starts spreading an ebola like virus and dustin hoffman um solves it by having like helicopter chases uh, <laughs> this sounds good <laughs> it's actually it was um it was quite fun a very i did think it was going to be a bit more of a serious movie because of the cast um but it is basically a silly like silly silly movie but quite enjoyable so i would recommend that if you haven't seen it did you um sorry did you did you watch contagion back when everyone was watching contagion uh yes yeah i saw it in 2011 whenever it came out oh okay i had not seen or heard of it before everyone was like you gotta watch it you gotta watch it it, it predicted the future like the simpsons <laughs> yeah i mean it it shows a pandemic happening in a quite realistic way so yeah i did predict that i guess and it, the, the the big the big stinger is that at the end they do tie it into being from a bat yeah um yeah. But anyway, yeah. So that that's uh, that was a good one. Watched um, a re- the latest remake of Emma, the Jane Austen novel. That was that was all right. Um, oh, we watched for the for the very first time ever a movie I'd never seen before. We watched The Sound of Music. Oh, um, I always dreaded watching it because I was like, oh, it's three hours long. It's someone singing in a field in Austria. I'm like, oh god, sounds like a nightmare. Um, but Michelle loved it, and we watched it, and actually, it was quite a lot of fun. Um, I think. What I didn't realise is I pretty much know every song in the movie because they're such famous songs. Um, so every single song that comes along, like, oh, this is from Sound of Music. I knew that song. I didn't know it's from this movie. Uh, and Julie Andrews is, is really good as well. She kind of brings that Mary Poppins kind of fun and uh, interaction with the kids to it. And it's, it's actually quite a good movie. 
Uh, it also has a kind of theme of like anti-Nazism in Austria running through it, which is not something I'd seen in in films before. So that that was quite an interesting angle that sort of underlines the the more sort of frivolous aspects of it. So that was that was good. And I also watched um, Happy Death Day to You, the sequel oh, yes. to uh, Happy Death Day, which I watched uh, just before Christmas. Um, I did really enjoy the sequel as well. I liked they went down a very different route. Uh, from the original, it's a bit more kind of sci-fi than than horror. Mm. Um, but yeah, this was a kind of ground Groundhog Day meets Scream. Uh, I guess meets Back to the Future <laughs> in the sequel. Um, it was good. I didn't. I thought they were going to go down a couple of routes that they didn't end up going down, which was a little bit disappointing because I thought they could have made made the movie kind of even smarter. But I did like what they actually did with it. It was quite sort of emotional, and I thought. They gave the characters actually a bit more depth than the first one. So, um, yeah, happy death day to you. Very, very good. Um, I also do have another film that I'm going to mention, but I'm going to save that for the award because it's going to be one of my... Uh, ah, my, my interesting. Yeah. Did, you, did you know they, they are making a, a new happy death day? Um, yeah, and, I saw that on Wikipedia. They might be doing another one. And the, the producers came out and said, unfortunately, it will not be called Happy Death Day Tree. Ah... Uh, which which would be a good pun for the Irish market only, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, so what about you, Paolo? Uh, watched a couple of movies. I also watched Soul, uh, as Barry did. Um, I liked it. I don't know if I liked it as much as you did, Barry. Mm. Um, I thought the first. 20 minutes of it were not bad, but were like kind of mediocre when it's in the soul world. Yeah. The the art direction of that. I thought Tina Fey's character was pretty annoying as well. Mm. Not, not, not that funny. Uh, And then kind of in the, in the second two thirds, I got more on board with it. There's a a certain uh, thing happens that gives the film maybe the extra jolt that I kind of, felt that it needed and i i really enjoyed it from that point on but um i just feel like having watched it i even though it was very good like i i, I definitely come come down the side with being good don't get me wrong yeah. i wonder though if i was to make like in july make a if someone asked me make a list from memory of all the pixar films i might forget soul to be honest mm. <laughs> i don't know that's gonna going to stick in there as much. I don't know what it was about it. I think I think Pixar as well have gone they've gone to the well enough times now of let's literally interpret like emotions, <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. We've done that now <laughs> enough times. Um No, I thought I thought it was mostly very good. It, t- it took me a while to get into it. That's all I'll say. Uh yeah, be somewhere like a 6 or a 7 for me, somewhere in the middle. But I don't think it was egregiously bad or i don't i don't think it was brilliant it was in the middle uh watch godfather 2 mm. I, I definitely appreciated it more this time not that i don't appreciate godfather 2 because that's a stupid thing to say but like i definitely think godfather 1 is the better of the two but i think the chasm in quality between 1 and 2 is now mm. but a slight you know, like a, the mark you make in, in, in paper with a pen. It's no longer the Grand Canyon. Um, it is obviously very, very good. I don't only talk about how good Godfather Part 2 is. Mm. Uh, and then we watched Godfather 
Coda, the death of Mike, Michael Corleone, which is the the 2020 Francis Ford Coppola re-edit and yeah. uh, reimagining of The Godfather Part 3, which is a film that uh, I'd only seen once. I don't see it in the cinema immediately after Part 1 and Part 2. So I was, first of all, I was tired of being... <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that's a great seven way Seven hours already at that point. Godfather 3. And I, I thought, I think Godfather 3 is is rubbish. Um, now, given that I'd, I'd only seen it the once, and it was three, four years ago, uh, there was a good maybe three or four days this time between watching Godfather 2 and 3. And I couldn't tell you definitively, I don't know the movie well enough to tell you what has changed, what has not changed. Uh, but I definitely liked it a lot more this time than I did the first time around. Um, I could see more clearly the stuff in it that is good, that is objectively good. Um, they dial back a little bit on Sofia Coppola, mm. who is just mm. hypnotically bad in Godfather Part 3. Um She's still she's still awful, don't get me wrong. But there just seems to be like less of her to the point that it wasn't so glaring. Um there's still silliness in it. I still maintain that the 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 one of the main threads of Godfather Part 3 involves the takeover of a company called Immobiliare, which involves the Vatican and the Vatican Bank. And I still find that that plot is a little too um Star Wars Episode One Trade Federation <laughs> shit that I don't care about. Just get into the mobster stuff. That's that to me is the, still the best part of the movie. But um, yeah, I think if you've never seen Godfather uh, Barry, for instance, yeah, uh, the way to do it is Godfather, Godfather Two, and Godfather Coda. Okay, and watch them like one a week. <laughs> don't go back to back to back. No, because it's too easy to then compare them to each other. Which especially hurts three, but I think even two, it's better to let let one breathe a bit, appreciate one for what it is, and then go into two knowing it's another excellent film, and don't fall into the trap that I do of being like, but where's Marilyn Brando doing the Godfather voice? Because um, I still think Marilyn Brando is the singular best thing about the trilogy. Okay, um, but Godfather two is. Equally a 10 out of 10. Godfather Coda, maybe like a 6. But it's a 6 up from a 3. So we can you know, give it credit for that. Um, uh, not step on Joe's toes for next week. We watched Muppets Christmas Carol, which I'd seen before when I was very young. Not enough. Not like long ago that I don't really, I didn't really remember most of it, but I remembered parts of it. Uh, that movie is really, really funny. Yeah. Much funnier than I remembered. Um, super, super charming. Super, super funny. Has a great, like, eerie feel to it, despite it being a wacky Muppets movie. Yeah. Uh, Michael Caine is great in it. Um, the songs are fun, if not, like, <laughs> the songs aren't great, but the songs are quite fun. Um, and, yeah, I, re- I, I, I really, really liked it. I don't think it's controversial to say that that film is really good. I expect it to be near the top of Joe's list. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only seen three Muppets films, I think. I, I haven't done the eighth, as Joe has, but um, that one and the reboot, whenever that was, 20, 
2011. I, I really like both of those. And then I think I've seen... I think I've seen Muppets in Space, but again, it would have been so long ago that I don't really remember most of it. I think, is is Goldberg in Muppets in Space? No, Hulk Hogan is. Okay, Hogan is. Okay. Hollywood Hulk Hogan, I should say. Brother. Um, so that was really good. We gave, speaking of revisiting movies and, and appreciating them much more a second time around, uh, we watched Tenet again. So you might remember when I saw Tenet the first time, first half really boring, then it was really good for a while, and then it gets kind of messy towards the end. Watching it the second time, I much, much more enjoyed. I wasn't bored for the first part like I was first time, because I understood what was being set up, and I understood the context of it a bit more. Um, I still think the ending gets a little, a little messy and a little Christopher Nolan going, oh, look what I can do. Oh, I'm so clever. Mm. Um, you better be watching this on a big screen. <laughs> um, well, that, that was the only film I saw in cinema this year, and then we we did watch it on Blu-ray second time. So he can't give out to me Blu-ray on a big forty-three inch screen. Um, yeah, I don't know what it was. I, I think Tenet is just a movie that, if you enjoy it or don't enjoy it the first time, you you'll get whatever you can get from the first time as you're trying to catch up and pick up the pieces as the film sets stuff up. When you know the basic structure and, and kind of where the film is going, you can enjoy much more the setup because you kind of get a satisfaction from seeing, okay, I see how they set that up. I've seen how they set that up. I still think there are big, big problems with it. Um, Three or four characters in the film who literally show up for one scene to explain something and I've never seen again. I'm like, who is that guy who, who's like, there's, there's a thing on, on Sky now, if you ever watch TV, right? There's a, an ad for Tenet all the time on Sky movies or whatever. And in the ad, there's a man who goes, I give you a gesture and a word, Tenet. I've seen the film twice now. I don't know who that guy is, who, what he has to do with anything. He just shows up and goes, here's a word, hmm, the tenet. And then he's gone. You're like, what? What? Who is he? He's, he's mysterious fucking he's government, tenet man. government agent man. Or is it the government? I don't know. There, yeah, there, there's too much of that where a character will show up, spout some exposition, and then the film continues going, don't worry about who that was. Now you know this bit of information. Now we can go to the next set piece. Fair enough. I still think it's very good. Um, I think I shot it up from like a 6 to an 8 on a, on a rewatch. So if you watched Tenet the first time and you didn't like me, didn't totally get it on a rewatch, I think uh, I think you'll enjoy it even more. And then finally Wonder Woman 84 um, which I thought was I thought was good at the, well, the first scene which is set in Wonder Woman Island, wherever that mm. is Goes on for about an hour. It's very long. It's very long. Is, is is just to explain one little thing, which then gets explained later in the movie anyway, as kind of the theme of the movie, which is you know work to get what you want. Don't take shortcuts. Don't um, don't cheat. Essentially, to uh, to 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 get what you want. Okay. That, that they take twenty five minutes to set that <laughs> concept. Up. Yeah, they they, 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 they could have cut seven of the twelve obstacles in the obstacle course and still still got that message across. 
This movie is two and a half goddamn hours long. There's then a really fun scene in a mall, mm. which I felt like I was, even though it's like set in the 80s, I thought it felt very 90s. It yeah. felt like I was watching Jingle All the Way or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, totally fun, totally wacky. And then the remaining like hour 45 of the movie is really slow and kind of lame. Like, I, I don't know. I thought, um, is it Pedro Pascal? Yeah. The, Mandalorian. I thought he was like great in it, in in a in a campy pantomime villain way. I thought he was very fun, and I thought Kristen Wiig was really good in it as well. Until she inexplicably becomes like a CGI monster. Yeah, I thought I had the exact same thought. I thought she was. So I had just, as I mentioned on this last show we did, I just watched Batman Returns, and I definitely got big Selena Kyle uh, from that movie vibes off her and i thought she was great in those scenes but then the scenes where you had to take her seriously as a badass doing um you know punching people through walls i was like she just doesn't look like she just she just has one of those faces or something i cannot take her seriously as a character having a you know a fight having a fight with someone i just can't take her seriously in that capacity mm, yeah i think the biggest problem in the film is that gal gadot is just horrendous not yeah, just like has no charisma. Yeah, you, at know, all. you can just you can just say she sucks. I mean, she's just really bad. And I thought in the first because uh, I thought she was terrible in Batman v Superman. And I thought whatever the magic uh, uh, trick was, I thought I thought they they used her just right in the in the first Wonder Woman film that it was not it was not distracting. Even though she's well, I think in the first one they they played more on the like fish out of water comedy. Yes, and so she was like the straight. The straight man, to use you know a term, and everyone else was like, "But this is how the world is." And she's like, "What is this closed?" You know. And this one, she's been living in this world now for seventy years, and she's just the most boring person. <laughs> she's so boring. Um, yeah, I I just thought like the the meat of the film was a mix of just utter lameness, horrible CGI. Yeah, blocky dialogue. I don't know. It wasn't for me. I, I I liked it a lot, but I I watched it thinking there's a good chance no other humans in on Earth will like this movie. And <laughs> it was funny. I think a lot of people that, that when I when it was in the cinema over here, I saw it, and I know a few other people who saw it literally literally just days before lockdown came back in, and most of them seemed to like it. And then it hit on Christmas Day for like the rest of the world, and oh my god, it seemed like the entire world hated it. <laughs> and, uh, it, it might just speak to the experience of watching it in the cinema first. Of all. That that may have helped because I, I, I there was a scene sort of towards the end where I was like, "This is fucking great," and it and it, it's elevating the whole film for me. And I think that would not have I don't think it would have played as well uh, on on the telly. But anyway, that's all the new movies we've watched uh, for this week. So with all that said, we should jump in to our best film of the year. And um, I will uh, go first because I went last last time, I suppose. Uh, and I mentioned it earlier. I should have done Joe's thing of keeping it uh, stum and, and just saving it for this uh, this category. But from looking through my letterbox, I didn't watch a ton this year of, of new release films. I just really didn't bother 
like any of the ones that were put online or leaked or whatever, I just didn't bother seeking most of them out. Um, so while it is not a film I would have expected to be my film of the year, I think it's probably Soul. Um, I, I, and I thought Soul was a very good, like four star, four star even movie. But I, I, I looked through the list of everything else, and I was back and forth, and I was thinking, like The Invisible Man was very good, and I think I'll rewatch The Invisible Man very often, um, and I think that would maybe be a cult hit of the year. Uh, but beyond that, I was looking through the list. I was like, eh. Admittedly, I have not seen a lot. I will say that much. I have not sought out a lot of films this year. Uh, but yeah, uh, I would say Soul in what has been a very quiet year for me on the movie front. Hmm. Interesting. I Yeah, I also looked at Letterboxd and I have 10, 10 films in there for 2020. And some of those are already films. They're like Netflix documentaries that they count as films. That's bollocks. Um, so of, of those films, I, I would give honourable mentions to uh, Soul, which I also watched with uh, Michelle. Um, quite e- echo what you guys said. Quite liked it. Didn't like it, you know, as much as something like uh, Coco or some of the other better Pixar movies. Worth a rewatch though to, to reassess it. Um, Tenor as well. I did enjoy that. Um, seeing that as one film I saw at the cinema this year. Um, pretty good, but had had flaws that that we've mentioned that would kind of stop me from wanting to say it was the movie of the year, let alone one of the best, better kind of Chris, Christopher Nolan movies. Um, documentary that I watched called Crip Camp, which was about the disabled. Um, or the civil rights movement among disabled Americans mm. um, in the 70s, which was really, really kind of interesting and I think important documentary because I didn't really know a lot about the, that part of the civil rights movement and how that led to kind of um, you know legislation for for those with disabilities and, and equality. Uh, and this often happens, or disabled people are erased from society and just not mentioned, or the opposite, they get kind of patronised in inspirational LinkedIn posts uh, about a little Down syndrome fella that's got a job in Starbucks or something. Um, so this was a very refreshing kind of documentary portrayal of, of people with disabilities. Um, so that would be that would be definitely be in the top two of the year. However, number one, I'm going to give to The Invisible Man. Um, oh. so this, this was a last gasp entry because I watched it last night and I've been wanting to watch it for a while. Um, really, really enjoyed it. So basically, it's it's about a fella that wears a fedora hat, sunglasses, and a trench coat, and sort of walks around sneaking into offices and <laughs> nicking files from filing cabinets and watching people get. No, not really. It's um, it's a very different take on the Invisible Man story. So it's it's kind of a um, an, you know, an allegory for for domestic abuse. So, I mean, it, it starts with um, kind of a domestic domestic abuse victim. Um, who's who the perpetrator then kills himself or does he because he then starts being kind of terrorized by this invisible man and i think the way it kind of took that story and um and kind of rewrote it in that light and in all these things like kind of gaslighting and how you know even if you can kind of get away from an abusive partner you never really get away from them they always kind of follow you get try and get you back in their lives um it was really really interesting and and really kind of scary and tense at times as well in the way that a lot of horror movies aren't so i thought that was great and i think i'm a big fan of elizabeth moss and i thought she was absolutely brilliant in it yeah 
Um, she really kind of probably takes the movie to another level. Like, I think it'd be pretty good without her, but with her, it's it's a fantastic movie. Um, so yeah, that was that was my movie of the year. Uh, and from the bloke, what she did saw. Um, so there you go. It was uh, it was it was definitely good. Yeah, last last minute winner from the Invisible Man. Yeah, very good pick there. Mm. I also like the Invisible Man this year. Doesn't win my award though. Ooh. I think this is our, our first award of the night where we have three separate winners, unlike uh, Mandalorian, which had a two to three, two out of three majority. Uh, I've seen twenty two films this year. Which is down from the usual 50 or 60 I get through. So, smaller list. But yeah, stuff from Netflix. Uh, the Wrong Missy, Money Plane, Cage Fighter. <laughs> um, so, honorable mentions go to Tenet, uh, 1917, which I thought mm. was excellent. Richard Jewell, uh, which starred Paul Hauser, whatever his name is. That guy who was in Itonia and was the best thing about that movie. Mm-hmm. was also the best thing about this movie. Uh, World of Tomorrow Part 3, The Absent Destinations of David Prime. Again, big, big recommendation. If you've never checked out World of Tomorrow, go to v- uh, Don Hertzfeld's Vimeo. You can probably get the trilogy there very cheaply. It's really great. Um, but then I come to a bit of a... For my, for my winner, I come to a bit of a... Um, quandary here because i saw on a lot of people's lists this year film of the year parasite okay mm. which i gave, i gave film of the year last year now it obviously comes down to your own personal um you know Rules. categorization of yeah what exactly is a 2020 movie when did it come out when did you see it Etc. Etc. So I saw Parasite last year, and the movie that I gave movie of the year to, some might consider a 2019 movie. So those movies that come out the start of the year, sometimes there's a bit of a gray area. But since I gave Parasite movie of the year last year, I I've disqualified it from the running, and so my movie of the year is The Lighthouse, ah. which is directed by the same director as The Witch, which I hated. And in fact, laughed at in the cinema when I saw it. Uh, but the Lighthouse is a seriously fucking good film. Uh, Robert Eggers is the director's name. High, high, high recommendation for the Lighthouse, especially if you're a Willem Dafoe fan, because this is for me Dafoe at his best. If you're a Robert Pattinson fan, it's maybe Pattinson at his best. Um, the only ten out of ten I gave this year was the Lighthouse. Wow. So there you go. If it, it'll probably pop up on some streaming service at some mm. point, but you know, I we I was too uh, too uh, impatient. We just we just watch them on Blu-ray. Um, it's the, in fact, I would recommend people watch it on Blu-ray because it's a fantastic looking movie as well. Even though it's uh, Barry, I know you saw a, a Ghost Story, mm. which has that like square uh, yeah uh, ratio. Uh, Lighthouse has a similar thing as well. Which makes it feel very claustrophobic, and hmm. it's really good. Yeah, I gotta watch the lighthouse. I, I, I don't know why I haven't yet watched it yet. Um, we'll jump in to game guff. Uh, polished off quite a, quite a few games uh, that I had been playing. 
uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales uh, finished. Uh, the story in the second half of that really picks up, and I was really happy with how it concluded. I think that's, I think the story for that game is better than the the base uh, original Spider-Man game, uh, which 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 had a good story. I, you know, that's not a knock on the original, but very very good, uh, very like focused. Like the main story of this game can be beat in about eight hours, I would say, maybe even less if you were to just race through it, which I wouldn't recommend, but you could do that. Um, which is great. I mean, I love that. I, I, I don't think there's any ne- necessity for 20, 30, 40 hours to, to see the main story, even if the game itself is big. So thumbs up on that. Uh, a lot of it is, you know, it's uh, a lot of it is kind of, hey, do you want more Spider-Man? If you like that last game, uh, you will like this one. But I think the story elevates it a little bit. And also the uh, the presentation on, on PS5 is really good. Um yeah, one thing I heard about it as well is the lack of those Mary Jane missions. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are there are no missions at all where you are not playing a Spider Man, which is good. Um, good. So yeah, uh, I finished Bug Snacks, uh, which was great. I, that was one of my favorite games of last year. Um, it's weird. It's funny. It's kind of dark. It has a great soundtrack. I loved Bug Snacks. I, I would encourage people to play it, and I, I would say certainly stick with it. I think it doesn't. It might not captivate you in the first hour or two, but I thought it was great. The ending is bizarre. The ending is really. I would love to talk about the ending on here, but it's the type of thing that I would not like to spoil um, uh, for people. But yeah, Bug Snacks is is good fun. Uh, I finished Gears Tactics, which I think I started like nearly this time last year. Uh, that was like a PC exclusive in like January or February, I think, last year. And then it came to the new the new Xboxes, so I checked it out on the Xbox. A uh, bit repetitive, campaign slightly too long. I think it was about twenty plus hours, but I I enjoyed it. Um, uh, not, it didn't look great on the new machines, which I was a little bit disappointed in, but whatever. Um, yeah, so that's a, if you're looking for a solid uh, turn-based shooter, that's good. Uh, me and Brona played together on New Year's Eve, uh, Streets of Rage 4, uh, which came out last year. Uh, fun. Yeah, it's about, you could beat it in about an hour, hour and a half. Um, there's not a whole lot to it, but it is a fun side-scrolling beat-em-up. You know exactly what it is. You know, you, you walk forward, you press X. You beat people up, um, and it looks nice. So yeah, that was fun. And I jumped back into Crash Bandicoot 4, which I'm remembering now why I stopped playing that. Um, it's quite frustrating and annoying, but I kind of want to finish it before I uninstall it, so I'm, I'm gritting my teeth through that. And yeah, that's what I'm playing. I wanna, I, I've, I've kind of wanted to be clearing off the stuff I, I, I started last year before I get, get into anything new. Um, so yeah, I did start though, just out of, just out of curiosity, I don't know why. Um, oh, it's because they announced a new one. I, I downloaded the original Perfect Dark, um, the Once Upon a Time N64 game, uh, which they remastered in like 2007 on the Xbox 360. Uh, it's on Game Pass, so I started playing that. It's fun for, for a game that is obviously very, very old. Um, and first-person shooters have changed quite a lot, but um, I'm having some fun with it. So yeah, that's what I've been playing. Can I ask you, Perfect Dark, the Xbox version, does that use the two thumbsticks? Yeah. With the, okay. Uh, I, have Perfect, I have the original Perfect Dark, and I've never played it. I only picked it up in maybe like 2012. Mm. 
But what's kept me from going to it is, you know, with the N64, you only have the one thumbstick, so it controls weirdly, like uh, Goldeneye. Yeah, that's that's yeah. So so the the remaster, um, it has those yeah those modern controls, but it still keeps that whole thing where. Yeah. It's weird. So it's it's left stick to move, right stick to move the the, the the reticle, obviously. But you don't have a ton of control. It's very imprecise. So you can still do the golden eye thing of press the left trigger to stop in your tracks and then move the reticle all over the screen. If you if you understand what I what I mean by that. So yes. so they've kind of done their best to modernize it, but still have it feel like hey, you're playing the sequel to, to GoldenEye. Um, and my understanding, because I, I did not play it on N64, I had it on N64, I just never played it, uh, and my, my understanding is that that was a game that was kind of uh, late in the generation and sort of pushing that tech probably further than it could go um, in terms of just like, you know, stuttery, and, and which was true of GoldenEye as well, to be fair. Um, but yeah, it, what's, what's funny though is even in this remastered Xbox version, they have like they literally use the exact same sound effects as some of the GoldenEye guns, um, yeah. and and some of the death throws of the guys are the same. Although Perfect Dark is mature rated, so they go, "Oh fuck!" Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's really funny that like it's it's this it is basically an unlicensed sequel to GoldenEye. The music is very unlicensed James Bond. It's a little bit Mission Impossible fan projecty. Um, it, it's very kind of tongue-in-cheek spy um, audio-visual presentation, which I enjoy, which I enjoy a lot. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll 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 finish that out. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm playing at the moment. So uh, that's that's my lot. Um, right. Well, I beat Mario Sunshine as I updated you guys on uh, during intro. our break. Uh, yeah, got the 120 stars before Christmas. Uh, mostly, mostly painless experience, except that lily pad level, which took me a hundred tries to do, <laughs> and one try where I had done it, and then um, accidentally switched my flood to the hover one by mistake and fell off the lily pad. <laughs> had to do it again, uh, which Natty saw me have almost a complete mental breakdown about. <laughs> um, but now I got there in the end. I thought the final boss was pretty easy as well. Um, yeah. Happy to have happy to have done it, you know. Despite the issues that that game has, and you know, I, th- I think there are many. I'm I'm happy that I finally went back and beat it because I'd never beaten that game. And uh, yeah, there are definitely definitely a lot of things about it that I like. Even even about the controls, like I said, I really like how the the side jump works in that game, and the wall jumping feels really satisfying. Um, there are a lot of problems with it. There are a lot of problems with the design of the game. Even as far as simple things where if you die in a level, you get booted out of the level. You have to watch the Delfino Plaza cutscene as you get booted out. Mm-hmm. You go back into the level and you have to watch the whatever shine you're doing cutscene before you can say. So there's like a minute between dying and being able to start oh, the level again. No. Such a pain. But I'm happy I played it again. So overall, positive experience. Uh, I got Watch Dogs Legion for Christmas. Ah. And I'm enjoying it quite a bit. And one of the fundamental reasons why I'm enjoying it, and to me, 
is almost pushing it to a 10 out of 10 game of the year contendership is that my randomly generated character is a big burly black um bearded construction worker called Owen McCoy who has a North <laughs> Dublin accent. <laughs> and I'll give you two quotes that he said in the game which he says mad things that cheer me up to no end get me laughing one of the things right I don't remember what the context was but he was shocked and he said ah Jesus tiddle me bollocks <laughs> <laughs> it's a good phrase it's a very good phrase. And then separately, he referred to somebody as a bucket of shite. <laughs> so you keep it, said, you're keeping him? I said, this is the game for me. <laughs> and this is the character for me. Yeah, I'm playing like 90% of the time as him. He, he has the, uh, the drone they can just hop on top of and fly around anyway, which is the most fun way of playing. Um, yeah, I don't know how many hours into it I am. Maybe 15 hours. Um, it's definitely a very, a very surface level game. Um, the fact that there's no discernible main character, you just have a, a group of randomly generated characters is kind of a double-edged sword in that there's the handful that you like get to like due to some quirk like I have with my guy. Um, I also have uh, a lady called Teresa Ward who sounds exactly like Russell Brand's mother. <laughs> so I kind of imagine that as her. Um, you know, there's some quirk that you get, but then by the time you have like 20 characters, you're like, look, I'm just never going to play in some of these. Um, it's a very pickable, pick up and playable game. In as you can pick it up, get a few tech points, do, uh, I've, I've done all the borough missions. So I have the entire map like cleared out basically. And those missions are the most, the most fun. Um, cause each little area has like three things for you to do. And then when you do them, you get like the, the main mission for that area. And each of those like main missions are so different from anything else in the game. There's like um, platforming your way up the big uh, big Ben. Yeah, there is um, like you're in a, a completely dark area, and you have to bring a drone around with a, with a light on it to light an area that you can then jump through and then move the drone. Like very very different stuff, um, which I really like. Like it's not a game. Like, you know, Last of Us 2 or Ghost of Tsushima, where the storyline is so intriguing and you're so uh, enwrapped by it. They have to keep, there's there, basically there's no storyline. It's just, here's a big sandbox, go mad. And uh, yeah. in, a kind of, in a kind of Hitman way. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just, I just pick it up and for like an hour, I don't even play the like main mission. I just, oh, there's a, there's a tech point over here. I'll go do that. Or, uh, oh, I'll recruit this person, and they have a little, a little quest, and it's it's all very fun. Like all the quests are, are are very fun, even though I'm sure when you do them enough times that they start to kind of become repetitive. I'm not at that point yet, and so I've I've already got the trophy for like recruit twenty different uh, people of different like jobs, or whatever. Um, and then the the trophy list has some some cool stuff for you to do. There's like a kill kill uh people with swarms of bees <laughs> so, and i have that character to do that so i'll start playing it that way london as well is a, is to me equally as good as san francisco was in Watch Dogs 2 a setting to play in yeah um it's really it's like yeah and the, the, like doing the little side quests as well you kind of see like not it's very visually rich but also like oh you can if you could conceive oh I can jump over there and then clear that you, you can do that like it's it's very yeah. it's a very interactive city which I really like 
yeah, I gotta, I gotta get back to that. I gotta get back to that. Um, uh, and it's like you said, I think it's, I think in a way it might sound like a criticism, but I think it's great that they've, they've kind of just laid the formula bare, um, but given you more amusing tools to play it with. Yeah, I, I, it's really satisfying to just hop going like you have a quest. You have you need to download the data from the laptop in the building, and you can just stand outside, send in a drone, or send in a spider bot, or hack the cameras and go from camera to camera to camera to camera, like CCTV cameras in the building to find the laptop. And you can you can do it without ever entering the building. There's like in Hitman, so many ways that you can attack each problem, and so the replayability is there, and the fun the fun is there. Uh, and then finally, I started playing Donkey Kong Country on the Switch again. Oh, which I'm going to. I've I've beaten all three Donkey Kong Country games on the Super Nintendo, but I've never 100 percent beaten. Oh, you maniac! So I'm doing that now. Those games are real short; they're like two hours each. Um, and if you're 100 percenting them, it's maybe an extra like hour. And also, I'm doing it on the Switch Online, which has that little rewind option, which is this is the first time I'm ever using it. Mm. Uh, and I love how when you save your game at the end of your playthrough, it doesn't count all the rewinds you've done. So I've I've apparently only been playing Donkey Kong Country for 41 minutes, even though I've actually oh speed run, send that screen back. <laughs> to, to... I've actually been playing for like an hour and a half, but it doesn't count those rewinds. To Twin Galaxies, yeah, it makes it super super. Uh, Super easy. So yeah, I'm going to finally 100% those games. Um, two and three, I'm particularly looking forward to. Duncan Country 1 is a little bit threadbare. There's not a lot of bonuses or collectibles. You just have to do um, all the bonus rooms in the levels. So it's a little bit closer to um, Mario World and like finding the eggs. It's a little bit closer to that. Whereas Duncan Country 2 and 3 have bonus rooms and coins you have to collect. And stuff like that. Um, but those games are great. And I have a, a nostalgia and a fondness for them. So I'll happily beat all three of them. And it won't take very long. It, it, probably the three of them will take half the time of beating Mario Sunshine. Nice. Um, I've just got the one game to talk about, and we might as well go into the uh, Game Award, because uh, this this game will be feature, featuring in my uh, nominations for the Game Award. Uh, okay. It is Super Mario Galaxy, uh, which I, about two and a half hours ago, got the 120th uh, oh. um, so yeah, completed. Well, it's not really completed it because as I learned, there's a whole other thing going on there that you have to do uh, to kind of truly finish it. But I got the 120 stars um, running through. Uh, really, really good game. Um, really kind of unique as the as all the Mario games go. Uh, just goes completely kind of off the wall. Um, completely different kind of mechanics, just way of playing. But I, re- I did really enjoy it. Uh, my complaint with Sunshine was there was just so much filler, uh, all the coin collecting levels and uh, boring levels. Galaxy is the exact opposite. <laughs> More than any other game, there is zero filler. Um, every single level counts. Even the there's some purple coin collecting levels that you do after the the beating the boss, and each one of them is like very challenging and quite different and unique. Uh, and even the, the comet levels where you have to redo them as uh, redo them faster or do them with one life or whatever, they're kind of unique and sort of interesting in their own right as well. So really, really good game. Um, I maybe end up bumping up a couple of 
level a couple of uh yeah i'm happy to hear you kind of came around on it a bit more yeah it was it's definitely really really good i look forward to um doing another playthrough of it probably sometime next year and i would love to play um super mario galaxy 2 so nintendo get on get on releasing that <laughs> get that on the switch please my money is ready please um yeah, so really, really fun game. And the the final confrontation with Bowser, I didn't think was that kind of epic. It was it was decent, but not not too challenging. Yeah, I think that's true. Almost of the three games mm. on that All Stars, like sixty four, Sunshine especially, as I just learned, and Galaxy, yeah. they're quite easy final bosses. I think. Yeah, I think sixty four is the definitely the hardest by far of those three. I think it is because of the limitations of the system. Like, I found it just hard to aim throwing Bowser. Like, yeah, well, that's the good <laughs> thing of it. Yeah, you have to spin him so fast, and then you have no idea where he's going to go. So it's just kind of random. But I don't know yeah. if that's by design or whether that's the the controls. But yeah, that's what made it so hard. Um, yeah, Galaxy, a good game. Would it be my um, game of the year though? It would be an honourable mention. Um, I would also give an honourable mention to Super Mario The Lost Levels, which I played for the, the first time this year. Won't go into that because obviously I did the big uh, countdown before Christmas. Um, mm -hmm. But I would give my game of the year, probably no surprise, it's to Super Mario Odyssey, mm. which I played this year. And for me, in terms of both quantity and quality, delivers above and beyond kind of what you'd expect. Huge nostalgia fest at the same time as, as also being a brilliant game in its own right. So uh, my game of the year, Super Mario Odyssey. I know it didn't come out last year, but traditionally... No, I, I think the fact that you only got a Switch halfway through the year, we can... Traditionally, I never give my game of the year to an actual game of the year. It's just what I think. <laughs> yeah, I played that year. So it's... There we go. Uh, I think your game of the year, Joe, is probably going to be better than my game of the year. <laughs> um, well, game of the year for me really came down to two games. And it was just a case of deciding which one did I prefer. <laughs> uh, I'll give a honorable mention to Animal Crossing. I give an honorable mention to a game that was really, really fun for like a month. And then I stopped playing it. Uh, Fall Guys. Mm. Oh, yeah. Give an honorable mention to Watch Dogs Legion, even though I've not played uh, it to its completion. And then it's just a case of deciding which did I like better. Was it Last of Us 2 or was it Ghost of Tsushima? Um, Last of Us 2, you might remember, I was really not interested in playing. Uh, just the mood I was in was not for playing that game. Um, and then my brother got it, and then by virtue of him beating it, I said, give me that. And so then I played it, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I thought the story was really compelling. I know there's people who have... Uh, I actually watched a video recently, people who said, uh, like, gameplay is impeccable, but the story has, like, a few issues. I feel the opposite, actually. Yeah. I think is impeccable. I think Naughty Dog are like stuck in 2010 with their game. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't agree with those takes, but um, I thought the story was was one of the best in years and years and years. Um, in terms of like the medium of video games, um, but like the boss battles are no fun, and there's only so much. 
platform adventure third person shooting you can do over the course of 20 hours before it starts to feel a bit repetitive which mm-hmm. last of us 2 does on occasion but i think it was definitely one of the the best games i played this year ghost of tsushima equally um i around 15 hours in started to kind of tire of it and then i had to like change the way i was playing it to start enjoying it again um Ghost of Tsushima isn't maybe as graphically good as Last of Us 2 is. Last of Us 2 is, again, one of the best-looking games ever. Um, Ghost of Tsushima, though, that does does uh, maybe more than the some of its parts with its art style, which is really, really nice to look at, even if graphically it's not that good. Um, equally has a very, very good story. Uh, has more satisfying gameplay, I believe, than Last of Us 2. Uh, even though things like the the one-on-one duels are really you know really fun initially and then kind of start to become a bit repetitive and a bit easier as you become more powerful um but what i've judged it on ultimately was uh those those two things story and gameplay and so i give my game of the year to the game with the best story and the best gameplay ghost of tsushima which uh i by the end of it i thought the story was even better than last of us story which i thought was brilliant <laughs> so there you go go tsushima which uh i don't think got as much um definitely wasn't as divisive as last of us 2 but i didn't think even got as much praise as last of us 2 or maybe praise that it deserved uh a really really fun open not even open world game because there's a, there's a linear progression through that open world it's almost like three separate mm acts of open worldness uh but with a tremendous story memorable characters and one thing that it does better in last of us 2 is flesh out those secondary characters last of us 2 you have your two main characters and a couple of of other characters who are who are very good don't get me wrong but in ghost of Tsushima, you really get to spend time with those characters learn what they're about and so when in a kind of avengers endgame style when all the stars align, when all the paths cross, it feels much more satisfying because you've spent so much time with it. Yeah. So I'll go Ghost of Tsushima for Ghost of the Year. For Ghost of the Year? Well, if we're doing Ghost of the Year, let me tell you... My honorable mentions are Casper. What I was going to say, for the 25th year in a row, it is Casper again. Uh, (laughs) how, How does he do it? Uh, Yeah, I'm going last. (laughs) That's, you know, talked enough about that game over the course of, of the year. Um, honorable mentions, you know, uh, Hades, um, Paradise Killer, uh, Astro on the, the PS5. Uh, yeah, those, those are the only honorable mentions. You know, there's been lots, and Ghost of Shima is great as well. Uh, yeah. So that's the game guff down. Uh, do we want to, I mean, has any, does anyone have a strong album? of the year take i i really don't i've listened to maybe four or five albums all year um uh, i think i've listened to one album this year which was supervision by larue so that wins us only album to listen to all year uh i listened to like a couple like mm, megan the stallion finally put out a studio album it's all it's decent i like it it's not great uh if i was to give an album of the year it would probably be to punisher phoebe bridgers you know which is a, a solid Phoebe Bridges record, but yeah, we're not, I don't think we're big. We're big current music uh, kids on this year's show. 
so with all that I was, I was happy to have System of a Down back. Their single was really good. I, I got really big into Lil Nas X at the end of the year. Oh, so really? Like, Holiday is a, a toe-tapper. Um, oh, I forgot to, to... Speaking of music, I forgot to mention in, in my game, Gop, I, I'm playing the new game from Harmonics, Fuser. Have you seen this, Paul? No. So this is the new game from the rock band people, and it is basically a combination of a rhythm game and you make... You basically make uh, remixes. Um, you have four tracks um, on the bottom of the screen, and you can assign uh, elements of songs to them with buttons. It's basically what you do is you put together a collection of music, and then you hover over a song. And when you hover over the song, it's like you have beats, vocals, and two instruments. And you can basically drop any of those four elements from the songs on the track, and you can just you make music um and it's got like everything from like you know like billy eilish bad guy all the way to like glenn campbell uh 50 cent into club uh, they have lil nas x in there which is what reminded me uh old town road you know uh, it's good there's, there's a campaign where basically rather than just throwing absolute shite at the wall and making unlistenable rubbish that I, which is what i've primarily been doing um they have a campaign where they're like tutorializing you and there's then also uh over the course of the campaign it's then also a rhythm game where they're like okay drop you want to drop a drum beat at this time you want to change the tempo at this time. you know they're doing all that kind of stuff but it's it, it really the, the real appeal is just getting in there in freestyle mode and and, and, and fucking around. it's it's cool it is really it's really really cool i think lots of people would like it uh it's kind of pricey though it is for, for a game that I think people will, like, fuck around with, but not necessarily invest a lot of time in, it is 60 quid, it's full price, um, with, D, with DLT. It comes with about 100 songs on it, and then there's, uh, you know, it's the same folks who made Rock Band, so they, they have the Rock Band model, which is every every week they add, like, a new song or two, so you can buy additional songs for two quid. Um, it's cool, but I would not say it's for everyone. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail things, it just reminded me there with Little Nas X. Um, so I don't have an. I don't listen to it. I don't know. I do have an email though. Go if on. you want to do that before we go on to a wrestling, sure. Uh, from Scott McAvoy. Uh, good evening, Paul. Thanks again for having me on episode five hundred. It's always fun to chat with you and catch up on the past year of laughs. During your discussion with Joe about Mario Galaxy, which you just talked about, mm. you mentioned there was very little to do in each level, but a lot of levels compared to Sunshine, which has a lot to do on a few levels. Is Mario Galaxy a WarioWare game in disguise? That's funny because he sent that to me on the 23rd. And then I got WarioWare on the GameCube for Christmas. I don't think it's a WarioWare level, of course. That's like mini games of five seconds each. But they're definitely different. uh, Structurally, they're different Mario games. Uh, Scott says, side note, I'll do a better job for the next quiz. I'm also jotting down the context for the quotes. (laughs) I don't think we need to guilt him into doing that, no, but that would be, like that would be hours. Cool. <laughs> Hope you had a great Christmas and look forward to another great year of the show. Thank you very much, Scott. Hope you had a good Christmas, Scott. Yeah. Right, awards. Awards. Let's we're gonna segue now into the wrestling a bit of the show in that. Uh what way do we want to do things? Will we start at the bottom of the list and work our way towards the total package? 
Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I think so. All right. So if you're new to the show, we'll give you a little brief summation as we go through. We're not going to do, you know, up and down, best male, best female, best overall, best match, worst. We're not going to do best, worst, everything. We've got our little collection of awards here, which I think are quite um, – they get the job done. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, for for what has been a year where actually I think even though our, our all-time – WWE consumption might be at its lowest. I think we've we've all watched more wrestling this year by virtue of, of AEW um, and and checking in to other places here and there. So we'll start. Well, I I watched four WWE pay per views this year. I think that's more than I've done in a while. I I did watch a couple as well. I yeah, as, as dreadful as it was, I I I did check out some of the COVID era shows. Um, I watched all of WrestleMania. I watched uh, like a decent chunk of Hell in a Cell. I watched Money in the Bank. I, I think I watched every This is so shit, you have to see it to believe it match that they had this year. <laughs> um, so anyway, we'll start, we're starting off with the good award here, though. Uh, we are starting off with best gimmick of the year, which is, as it says on the tip, Favorite gimmick over the course of 2020. Um, why don't we start with Joe? Best gimmick. So uh, all of my um, awards are very AEW focused because I've watched virtually no WWE this year. So that's a, that's a forewarning for everyone. I'm sure that would be true for you know, most of the awards. Um, as a gimmick, I would go honorable mention to Mr. Orange Cassidy. Um, I think as the year went on, it got a little bit tired because um, they pushed him quite hard and he was in a lot of main events. But if you think back to the start of the year, he was that gimmick was so over, he was so hot, it was it was absolutely fantastic. Um honorable mention also to the Kenny Omega Don Callis kind of double act uh, that started to emerge a few weeks ago. Uh, we only really got to see like a couple of weeks of that, but the interview they did with Josh Matthews was fantastic and I, I kind of very intrigued to see where that goes in, in twenty twenty one. Um, but I'm going to give gimmick of the year to a man who, when he cuts a promo, I stop what I'm doing and I listen and I look at the screen and I pay attention and I listen to every single word because his his promos and the, the way he delivers them, his whole shtick, his persona is so captivating. It is the Mad King, Mr. Eddie Kingston. It's my gimmick of the year. He's fantastic. Excellent. Yeah. Very good pick. Uh, I'll jump in here uh, at this interlude, and I will say uh, I, I would describe my pick as very similar to Joe. Uh, Eddie Kings is a great pick. I was thinking about it, uh, but my gimmick of the year is Taz Ooh. as the as the just as the the little bagel shop guy. Um, <laughs> uh, I just love Taz as this salty old, short, little angry man who, who who sends his stable of beefy boys after anyone he doesn't like. Um, and he's coming out, he's always so he's, ah, I'm sick of you, Cody! Oh, every week! Oh my god! When's my title getting recognized? Oh, he's just always pissed off and scowling. He's great. And he's a fucking great promo. Uh, and he's great on commentary. He's great at everything he does. I wish he could wrestle. I would even if he, even if it was a shit match. I wish he could just have a match just, just to just for the fun of it. Uh, but yeah, gimmick of the year Taz. Loving. I was going to go team Taz, 
But I was like, really, it's it's down to just the individual. Really, he is he is the man. Yeah, I as I've written down my picks on 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 this piece of paper here. And as much as possible, I'm not going to change my picks unless one of you guys come obviously comes up with a pick better than mine, which in which case I will steal it. <laughs> um, I've actually written down both of the the gimmicks Ooh. that you guys picked. Um, now I, I'm going to also suggest rather than gimmick of the year, I think I think the the way we approach it anyway is more like character of the year, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I've given honorable mentions to uh, the Dark Order. Yes. Yeah. Which, which formerly uh, a poor man's Ministry of Darkness has kind of evolved into something that's really gotten people over. And it's really interesting. Um, honorable mention for team, parentheses, Taz, uh, for the same reasons Barry already outlined. Yeah. Uh, but my winner, Eddie Kingston, for Eddie. the already mentioned reasons. You're my best friend. He's, the yeah. He's the best character in the show. Excellent. Uh, on the positive side, we now flip to the negative, and we are going to talk about flop of the year, which is again, you know, we're, we're going to play fast and loose. So obviously, I think everyone will have their own individual definitions of these awards. But you know, to me, this is a thing that you know either had some potential. Either we thought it would have some potential, a person, an idea, a promotion, a show, a concept, a gimmick, a whatever. Uh, either we thought it had potential, the, uh, the company it's in thought it had potential, uh, you know, whatever. Whatever definition you want, and it did not meet those expectations. I'll go first here on this one. Uh, I don't know if anyone else will have this. I, I don't think they will. There's a lot of contenders in a year this terrible. Um, across this the spectrum of wrestling, you know, with the in AEW as well as WWE and New Japan and all, of, all a lot of places, but I went with someone who has been a big star in the past, to varying degrees, has uh, changed things up frequently with varying degrees of success, and and arrived in a in a promotion with a, a moderate degree of of intrigue from fans. And a, and, a, and a decent push from the company, which I, I have honestly found to be more or less uh, interminable at every turn. Uh, my my flop of the year is Matt Hardy in AEW. Oh, that's not what I was expecting. Not a, not a bad pick, though. Good pick. He's not on my list, but that's not a bad pick. Yeah, I mean, the, the from showing up, doing the delete stuff in front of no crowd, the teleporting, which is just not what I want in AEW, the the terrible promos, the bad matches are getting hurt all the time, uh, do, having Brandy Rhodes level of character changes every other week, um, really bad, really, really, really bad. I'm I'm I'm, I'm totally over it, and I, I wish he'd be an agent. Cannot argue with that. I think Joe and I are actually going to have the same. Uh, if, if, I, if I'm going to prognosticate, I think Joe and I will have the same. I'll, I'll talk to you, Joe. Okay, I'll go. I think I know what you're getting at, Paul, but that's not my winner. That's one of my honorable Oh, mentions. my God. Um, Shocked. So I've got four honorable mentions, actually. A lot of flops this year. So firstly was the Chris Jericho anniversary show. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I thought it was going to be really good, and instead we got Jericho versus Luther. Yeah. <laughs> 
one of the worst matches of the year. Just absolutely dreadful. Um, so that was a big disappointment. Um, related to the Matt Hardy thing, I'd say another flop of the year, Private Party. Would be another yeah. Coming off that, that win against Young Bucks the end of last year, I thought they were absolutely fantastic and really thought they would go places this year. And it just, for whatever reason, didn't happen. And I would say they're now, um, in terms of kind of young and up-and-coming tag teams in AEW, they're like fourth or fifth in mm-hmm. the queue behind your top flights and uh, your acclaimed and etc. cetera. Um, another flop, um, the Money in the Bank match. Um which I, when they described it, the idea of them fighting through Titan Towers up to the roof and climbing a ladder, I was like, that could actually be pretty fun, pretty good. So I did actually bother to, to download and watch it, and it was the utter drizzling shit. Just unfunny WWE comedy shit action, stupidity, people getting thrown off roofs. It was, it was awful. Um, the other flop, which I, I think Paul picked up on, um, was our friend from Bulgaria, who, after many, many years of being <laughs> underutilized in WWE, went to AEW, uh, is Myro, and he, he, he's he just been crap. Um, he's done nothing, really, and you'd expect a lot more from him. Yeah. A uh, bit of big flop. However, my, my uh, award for flop of the year is going to go to WWE Thunderdome. Um, so we've probably forgotten about this by now. <laughs> by now, it was only like six months ago or something. But they built up this idea of this. They were going to you know, re completely relaunch Raw, and they got this Thunderdome, and it's going to be drones and pyro and screens and lasers and all this shit. And I thought, with the kind of technology you have now, you know, and I've been to certain events where they use all this technology, and it looks fucking amazing, like esports events where they have all this kind of crazy stuff going on. I was like, wow, this could be really cool. Uh, and I watched it, and they had some pyro, uh, and then they just had a load of uh, screens badly arranged in an empty arena, and it looks shit. It uh, is. It is funny. It is the most WWE thing in the world to put all that resources into making the show look as as the same as it has been for twenty years that everyone is sick of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but worse. So yeah, my my flop of the year was the Thunderdome. Excellent. Okay, uh, Paul? Yeah, I, I've i gone more wrestler-specific, although I think you guys are, are on the money with your mm-hmm. picks. Um, honorable mentions uh, might be uh, surprising. Honorable mention to uh, Phoenix. Mm. Ooh. Every chance he gets, uh, gets injured, uh, which stops his progression. I would put even the Lucha Bros overall. Um, but Phoenix in particular, because any any time he has a little bit of momentum going, he hurts himself. Um, Lance Archer, I've put as a bit of a flop mm-hmm. as well. Since he's been brought in, he hasn't really amounted to much. Uh, but yeah, Miro is flop of the year for me. Yeah, very fair. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's flop of the year. Uh, we move back here in to moment of the year. Uh, you know so what it says: the best singular moment of the year. We will start this time. We'll go back to Paul. Paul's going to finish. He's going to start again for this category. Okay, dokie. Um, moment of the year. Yeah, there's quite a few. Um, so it was tough to whittle it down. Um, I've tried to be. 
I, I try to take the recency bias out of it as much as possible, but I have honorable mentions um, Dinner Debonair. Oh, yeah. Uh, Cody Rhodes gets his name back. Mm. Um, but my moment of the year is not an AEW moment. <gasps> it's from the other place. Up north. Up, up in New York. Uh, for their... Even though there were kind of some whispers about it, their ability to to surprise and, and give an emotional gut punch, uh, which I quite enjoyed. Uh, moment of the year, Edge returns at the Royal Rumble. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, what about yourself, Joe? Um, got a few. They are they are kind of more recent. So honorable mention to Sting's debut, um, which uh, was spoiled for me, um, but I enjoyed it anyway. Uh, Omega's uh, evasion with the AEW title on the same show that was really interesting. Uh, Brock Lesnar and Keith Lee's um, showdown at the Royal Rumble. Where Lesnar went, ooh, big boy! That was uh, one of my favourite moments of the year. However, I'm going to give the uh, award for moment of the year to uh, Brody Lee destroying Cody Rhodes um, in in the match and the aftermath of that. So more the aftermath um, with him kind of posing, posing over Cody with a title. I thought that was a, an epic moment to follow a, a really kind of special match and a the combination of the Dark Order going from kind of joke. Wrestle crap joke to uh, serious serious business. So that was that was my moment of the year. Lovely stuff. Uh, yeah, on, honorable mention to the 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 the, the Brody Lee thing that was uh, on my list as well. I I, I wouldn't want to give it an award because that feels weird. But I I did think the the Eric Redbeard return on on Dynamite on Wednesday, uh, as well as the show closing thing. With the with the belts were were wonderful, genuinely wonderful moments. But I I, I don't want to give it a, a, like an award to a tribute show like that feels yeah. crass. But I, uh, uh, in, in a weird way because it was a, it was a great TV show, but it was just you know weird. Uh, other honorable mentions: uh, Becky Lynch announcing she was pregnant um, was, was was lovely. Um, you know uh, the. Oh God, I I'm, I'm blanking. Uh, Hangman teasing the uh, the lariat to Omega at the oh, end of yeah. the Revolution tag. That was uh, that was really great stuff. Um, yeah, you know, there's a lot, lot of other uh, uh, moments here or there. Sting showing up was great. Uh, but yeah, I would have to echo Paul and my moment of the year was Edge coming back mm. at the Royal Rumble. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that was fantastic. It really was. Uh, even though they fucked it up and they missed the first spear um, on the live show, uh, which is funny, but uh, and then he heard AJ Styles with one of them as well. He heard AJ Styles with one of them, and then he got hurt himself. But sure, look, what are you going to do? <laughs> I think the documentary they made gave extra kind of weight to that as well. That yeah, that was that was one of the best things they produced all year. Um, yeah, so Edge Edge returning there with two picks. Um, uh, for that, and, and, a, and a solid uh, pick from Joe there as well with Brody Lee. Uh, next, we're back in the bad, the bad category, and it is this is a simple 
open to interpretation, very fluid category. It is simply the worst wrestling thing of the year. Uh, I'll go first here. Um, and I will say simply cinematic matches uh, with quotation marks around cinematic because I think that is a stupid term because I think all wrestling is cinematic and the matches that wrestling people call cinematic are the matches where they embarrass themselves by doing shit like parody but not intentionally funny uh, uh, pastiches of uh, what I'll just call normal people's programming. Um, just horrendous, always awful. The only ones I've enjoyed have been like sort of like like the bat, like the boneyard match, like sort of like ironically enjoyable because it's like shit taking itself seriously. Um, I don't count the Stampede match as a cinematic match. That was just a fight in it. That was just a backstage match. That's mm. been a thing. That's been a thing forever. So I'm not I'm not letting people have that as a cinematic match. Um, just shit wrestling, shit comedy, shit drama. <laughs> Both companies, and then people like oh Carl Anderson, like satirizing that by doing even shitter versions of it. Like oh my god, a pox on this trend. It is it is it is the reason 2020 wrestling was so laughable. Not. Not the pandemic, not the empty arenas. It was cinematic wrestling. It was embarrassing, uh, and that's my that's my pick. What about you, Joe? It's a good pick. It's a good pick. A um, couple of honorable mentions. So uh, Charlotte be- beating Rhea Ripley at the oh, WrestleMania, oh, oh, yes. um, which was just ridiculous because then Charlotte left for like six months. <laughs> Rhea Ripley was incredibly hot, and she got beaten, and it was just I don't know, kind of the worst, the worst of that kind of old school mentality booking where the star just says, no, I'm going to win and kills a kind of young up and comer. Um, Ray Mysterio's eye being gouged out. Um, <laughs> and the fact that they advertised it as an eye being gouged out match. I mean, it wasn't just that it happened. It was that they promised it was going to happen. And then they had a joke shop sort of eye uh, <laughs> about. Um, however, worst wrestling thing of the year, I'm going to give to anything to do with the fiend. Uh, just anything apart from the Firefly Funhouse match with John Cena at WrestleMania, which I watched like three times because it was so stupid and funny. And um, yeah, anything. Every time you hear something to the Fiend, it just looks absolutely appalling. Whether he's been set on fire, whether it's the puppets, the fucking Muppets, the dolls, the Randy Orton and Alexa Bliss doing these stupid faces, it is just utter garbage it's just cringeworthy embarrassing nonsense that you you wouldn't ever want to sit through so yeah please let's not have any more of that i remember when roman reigns came back and battered the fiend and won the title we were like, oh thank god the fiend's done uh it's only it's only got worse since then so um yeah fiend is the the worst wrestling thing of the year okie dokie um for me i've gone honorable mentions right something that's been alluded to already um, Talking Shop Mania Two, mm. uh, which I paid legit money for, and was a big old stinking pile of piss. Even though I maintained the first one was fun, the second one was too knowing and unfunny. Uh, eye for an eye, as Joe mentioned as well, 
Ironically, since Taco Chop Mania 2 was um, promoted as Ball for a Ball. Oh, God, oh, <laughs> um, Which, uh, weirdly, was even less funny than you might imagine. Oh, God. Um, and I've given an honorable mention, not to The Fiend, but the worse version of The Fiend. That's right. Honorable mention for Abaddon. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Who is just awful in every conceivable way. Um, but speaking of spending money, my worst thing of the year in wrestling involves me spending money because, like Joe mentioned, I thought money in the bank, <laughs> climbing up the Titan Towers, oh. sounded like a fun idea. And so I gave Vincent Kennedy, Kennedy McMahon 12 or whatever, how much it costs Europeans on the day of and stayed up. Not only money, you are uh, the, the problem here between talking shop and media and this. The worst wrestling thing I'm of a year mark. is, is you being a mark is the is, <laughs> is the worst wrestling thing of the year. How could you not predict that the money in the bank match that because that when I talk about cinematic matches that is the worst. The money in the bank match is the, the most abominable thing WWE has ever produced. I I was actually excited for it can you believe it oh my god and i stayed up until the wee hours of the morning and you should have seen my face while i was watching it just horror um yeah i mean maybe i should change scratch out money in the bank and just put worst thing being conned out of my money <laughs> oh god almighty <laughs> although i must say like i i to 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 give myself some some mark credits here, I I bought all the AEW pay per views this year. Same. Um, Talking Shop Mania, Talking Shop Mania Two, uh, Money in the Bank, <laughs> which I should not have done. Um, but no, Money Money in the Bank was undescribably bad. Specifically, the show closing man and woman's Money in the Bank matches at the same time. Mm. Oh my god, it was so bad. Mm. Not fun in the slightest. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and of course, I mean, if it, just to mention, I mean, obviously, I think the the worst thing that happened this year was the the whole Brody Lee situation. Of which, course, uh, yeah, we don't need to touch on. But in in terms of it being like a fun, silly award mm. that we give out, talking about the worst creative. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you could also say the worst thing was wrestling as a result of the entire world had to shut down because of COVID. <laughs> you know. Um, anyway. Well, we still have our Stupid Idiot Award coming up. So that's oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, on to the, back to the positive awards here. We've got a couple of uh, plaudits to hand out here. We'll start off with Joe. Who you got for Tag Team of the Year? Ooh. Well, um, I think the AEW tag team division has incredibly impressive, one of the strongest tag team divisions in, in decades, really. Um, I would say notably uh, honourable mentions to the best friends. I think had a great year, along with Orange Cassidy. Lots of good matches, including the, um, the kind of street fight match uh, with Proud and Powerful. Uh, honourable mention to the Butcher and the Blade, which I would not yeah. expect you to give uh, a start of this year, but they have been really, really entertaining and just a kind of couple of grizzled um, heels just beating on people. And I'm not that keen on the Butcher's new look. Um, he's got this new gear and he doesn't look like a Butcher anymore. Um, I think he needs to change that back. But apart from that, they've, they've been great this year. However, there's only one 
tag team, I think, that, that can win it, and it is the Young Bucks. Um, just a fantastic match after fantastic match after fantastic match this year uh, with pretty much everyone. Uh, on the character side, it's been up and down. They kind of teased Hill for a while before going face and the attacking announcers and things. That wasn't great. But just purely on the in-ring, I would have to have to give it to them. So the, it's good that they've knocked that in the head. Yes, thankfully. Um, but yeah, based on the in-ring, it has to be the Young Bucks. No pun intended on that, by the way. Um, I've gotten Young Bucks honorable mention. Um, I I've gotten Young Bucks honorable mention. I've gone Usos honorable mention because I think the Usos have been involved in a lot of um, of what I've seen. Mm. A lot of the good Roman Reigns. I I must should have put Roman Reigns honorable mention for gimmick of the year. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just proves what they should have done, taking a chance on John Cena just one time. Um. Santana and Ortiz, I've given honorable mention. Yeah. Well. Uh, well, they've been involved with best friends a lot this year, so <laughs> two sides of the same coin, maybe. Uh, but my tag team of the year is uh, Kenny Omega and Adam Page. Yeah. Who I thought had uh, had great matches. Yeah, great matches, great yeah. stories, you know. Um, uh, yeah, I would share most of your honourable mentions. Uh, I think uh, Best Friends deserve a lot of credit for being like a great utility team, being able to do a little bit of everything all year. So uh, credit to them. Um, uh, and I would give a shout out to Omega and Paze. But yeah, I'll have to go with the Young Bucks pick. Um, because this year, along with a lot of other years, they have consistently been the team who have every other team's best match. Um, uh, and they've really proven just how excellent they are. Even if they're in there with with youngsters like like Top Flight or much hyped uh, signees like FTR, who were a contender for flop, to be honest. But I think that Young Bucks match might have saved them because it was so good. Um, so yeah, the Young Bucks are, are you know they're the team of the decades. Um, I think as as Joe mentioned, I think the story stuff for me was what mm. brought them down a notch. Like I Fair. for for even though the matches were good for a couple of months there, I wasn't interested in seeing the Young Bucks. Um, but yeah, they're like one and two definitely. Anyway, yeah. So that's our uh, tag teams of the year we'll stick with the good awards we're going to jump in to match over the year uh you know a, a decent amount of honorable mentions here uh for this one I'll, I'll go with this one again uh okada versus ibushi from the first night of wrestle kingdom i thought it was great uh the Pac versus kenny omega iron man match i thought was tremendous um uh pack versus orange cassidy um uh, Sammy Guevara versus Darby Allen, um, a, a whole host of, uh, of of AEW matches on this list. To be fair, Sasha Banks versus Bailey in the Hell in a Cell, I thought was great as well. Uh, thought, <laughs> thought Ray Ripley versus Charlotte was good until the finish. Um, uh, but I will, I will take probably the predictable pick, and I will say uh, Omega and Paige versus the Young Bucks from Revolution. Um, it was a, a front runner early on, and I just it just could not be un- unseated. Uh, and, and like it was pretty depressing early on in the COVID era when it was like, oh my god, wrestling without crowds is terrible. It got a little better, 
uh, especially as AEW started to let people in again, it got a little better. But even even working their hardest with a small crowd, they they could not they could not emulate the uh, the splendor of you know a full stadium watching uh, watching those guys bang out a classic. So that's that's the match for me. What about you, Paul? Uh, yeah, I th- I mean. For me, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of Kenny Omega in here. Um, <laughs> honorable mentions: uh, Stadium Stampede, uh, Omega Page versus Young Bizzles, Pack Omega, Omega Moxley, which I think is Moxley's best match he's had. Um, the Boneyard match, which I thoroughly enjoyed the campness of that. Uh. But my match of the year um, is not an AEW match. <gasps> is it a ball for I'm ball a match? match. <laughs> is what? Ball for a ball match. <laughs> it's not a ball for a ball match, nor is it the boner yard match. Really, 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 really. Um. It's and, and maybe this isn't so much match of the year. There, there maybe are better matches, but this is kind of overachievement match of the year. And so, as a result, I'm going to give some some credit where credit is due for um, a match type that, in the past few years, has kind of disappointed routinely. Uh, they finally gave it the jolt it needed with strong storylines, proper surprises. And uh, and Brock Lesnar saying, "Ooh, he a big boy." <laughs> My match of the year is the 2020 Royal Rumble oh, men's wow. Royal. Yeah, it was great. It was great. The whole Brock Lesnar run at the beginning was super interesting. The elimination by Drew McIntyre felt like a legit surprise and legit build of someone. Keith Lee, for as short time he was in, it felt important. The edge return was there, as again, was my moment of the year. And then Drew winning was a, a properly unpredictable winner. All those things the Royal Rumble has been lacking for maybe the last four or five years. So since AJ Styles debuted, probably. Uh, so yeah, I thoroughly enjoy the Royal Rumble this year. Hmm. Very good. Go on, Joe. Uh, uh, my match of the year, honourable mentions to the street fight between Best Friends and Proud and Powerful. Um, the fantastic match at Revolution between, and I'm smiling as I as I read this, just remembering that match between Orange Cassidy and uh, Puck, um, <laughs> which was just hilarious and the, probably the peak of, of kind of Orange Cassidy's sort of year, I think. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And the crowd reaction to that one. Uh, Wardlow versus Cody Rhodes, the cage match. Uh, cage. Oh, yeah. Which was uh, like Wardlow's first AEW match, and he was really good in it. And I thought Cody did a great job in that match. Really, really good. But I'm going to give my match of the year to Kenny Omega and Adam Page versus the Young Bucks from Revolution. Uh, the best tag team match I've seen, period. And, you know, I was thinking that even before I'd finished the pay-per-view and went online to read the reaction, I had it in my mind as, like, the best tag match I've ever seen. And then I saw many other people echoing that. And I was like, yeah, definitely. Uh, reminded me of, like, Steiners versus Luger and Sting or Steiners versus Brenner in Hart, which is the, the highest praise I can give it, really. And, of course, had that wonderful moment afterwards that Barry mentioned where it looked like Paige was going to do the uh, mugshot lariat to Omega. 
just absolutely brilliant, brilliant, brilliant tag match. Um, Cannot yeah. argue with you guys picking that. Yep, it was great. Yeah, so that's our uh, match of the year. And finally, we go on to show of the year. Joe, why don't you give us a doubleheader here and go off at show? Uh, yeah, quick me- few mentions. So this, the Sting, um, Kenny Omega screw, screw job uh, episode of Dynamite. It was on just a yeah, month ago now. Um, so that was a fantastic episode. Uh, the Dynamite in Atlanta that I just talked about was another really strong one. Mm. Uh, Honourable mention to the, the Brody Lee Memorial show. I mean, as Barry said, you don't really want that show to exist. So uh, it wouldn't really give that an award. But the way it was done was, was really, really, really well done and and just a great tribute to him so i'd give a mention to that but yeah winner show of the year would be AEW revolution um it had those two matches that i mentioned orange cassidy and pack and um the tag match uh, as well as a really good main event with with moxley versus jericho a uh, fantastic five minute sprint between Darby Allen and then Sammy Guevara. A couple of the stinkers in there as well. The MJF, MJF Cody match was a bit of a disappointment. Uh, Hager versus Dustin Rhodes was the opener that was just <laughs> too long. And you don't really want to see Jack Swagger wrestling Gold Dustin in, in 2020 either. But yeah, other than that, I had some really great matches on it. Um, it was also kind of the last hurrah before we went into lockdown and crowds disappeared and everything got a bit depressing. So yeah, AEW Revolution was show of the year. Me. Yeah, I would. Um, I would have to echo that uh, across the board. Your honorable mentions and your pick as well for Revolution. That be that be my pick. Uh, what about you, Paul? Okay, honorable mention AEW Revolution. Mm. Mm-hmm. Honorable mention Double or Nothing. Mm. Uh, Royal Rumble. Yeah. <laughs> honorable mention. Honorable mention, Money in the Bank. No, only joking. <laughs> Ten quid went um, <laughs> But show of the year is... is I've not gone... I, I'm breaking the rules here a little bit. Oh. I've not gone... I've not gone for a individual event as much as, let's say, show. Disqualified them. It's not, it's not the G1. Don't worry. The G1 was... I, I could have had G1 for flop, flop of the year. <laughs> is it raw? Um, <laughs> show of the year is superstars do they still do that uh, no main event <laughs> no my show of the year well deserved i don't think I, I if you say to me like a year ago i wouldn't have thought there would be uh, a wednesday wrestling show that i would be so excited for every week wait to watch it Oh, here we go. Like like feeling like a kid again. Um, legitimately shaking in anticipation. Uh, and paid off that anticipation by being great mm-hmm. on a consistent basis as well. Uh, my show of the year goes to Zack Ryder and Brian Myers Figure Wrestling Federation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Every Wednesday, you get a uh, their little e-fed, the figure fed, and they do their Pretty pay-per-views fair. once a month. And I look forward to those fake pay-per-views more than the real ones, what I pay for. <laughs> uh, You're going to start paying them next. I subscribe to their Patreon. 
So yes, my show of, show of the year is the Figure Wrestling Federation uh, Turmoil and Thrill Zone, which is the name. <laughs> of the- <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Okay. And this all started months ago on this podcast. I think Joe, you were talking about how you had watched like a Hasbro. I watched the history of Hasbro. The history of Hasbro, and then that they had there was like a a draft special yeah. they did. And that, that was my gateway into that show. Oh so my! Oh my! legitimately my favorite wrestling if like we do worst thing in wrestling if we did best thing in wrestling that would be my my award winner wow i'll have to check that out all righty and that brings us into the big two okay we've got the stupid idiot awards which goes to a singular person every year for simply being stupid um uh i'll go first here honorable mention oh where do you start well vince mcmahon um (laughs) you know always uh dana white um uh miro um you know for being a, a a dummy um I'm sure there's loads. I forget Jim Cornette, of course. Every year refuses to go away. Um, you know, uh, people who people who tag Jim Cornette on Twitter, all those people. Uh, but there's really only one person who can get this award. I don't think he's ever gotten this award before, despite um, inspiring it. Um, it has to be Chris Jericho. I mean, it has to be Chris Jericho for for being a gigantic dumbass in general um <laughs> and having having like uh having uh, uh hey guys uh, this week on my podcast which is uh, sponsored by bluetooth we're talking to uh this guy and they call him crazy pete now pete you you um <laughs> you rummage around in your own arsehole in search of gold is that correct yeah great a try but you know uh i'm i my, my job has been interfered by the 5g you know i can't seem to i can't seem to find any in there because of the vibrations <laughs> why does he have jim ross's voice <laughs> i don't know but you know, between between that and then, but really, the the piece de resistance. I can I can tolerate Jericho being a, a you know a dip, but the piece the reason the real reason I'm giving Jericho is that he's a wrestling person who partook in that like Sturgis rally that like they 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 believe like two hundred thousand people have have ultimately gotten COVID because it happened, um, uh, along with the guy from Smash Mouth. Um, who 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 was there? Uh, let me. I'm gonna Google this just to see. Uh, but he was at another show recently, like a Steel Panther show or something, which was like, uh, oh, yeah. So so I'm just got uh, this is from this is from Forbes. And, you know, take this with a pinch of salt. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying certifiably guaranteed. This is but you know this is what what uh, some economists are, especially, are, are speculating on. Uh, Sturgis Motorcycle Rally may have caused 250,000 coronavirus cases, economists say. Uh, economists drawing on cell phone data to track movements and COVID-19 case data estimates in Sturgis, blah, 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 blah 250,000 new cases. So, you know, it just, but even if even if they, if, if that wasn't publicized, just, like, he's, he's at these closed set wrestling tapings, right, where they're getting tested 
tested all the time, and they have little bracelets to say, "Oh, I'm tested, but I don't have COVID." And then he goes to like a concert where they just where they're acting like it's just 2007, and he's and and they're booking Fozzie and and Smash Mouth to play <laughs> to play in front of hundreds of thousands of people in the street. It's just bizarre. But uh, yeah, Chris Jericho it gets my stupid idiot award. Oh. Right. Well, I have along very similar lines, uh, Barry. I have honorable mention for anyone. And this includes Chris Jericho for his uh, what you've talked about for the last ten minutes. In addition to um, Johnny uh, Goldars, <laughs> who just had like some. I remember at the start of the whole outbreak, he was like, okay, I, I, I'm Joe Rogan, so I'm going to have <laughs> a COVID uh, hoax man on and discuss, oh, so you think, okay, interesting, so COVID is a hoax, right? and I'll just send that out to people. That's not marvelously um, you know, ill-advised and negligent. Go ahead. Um, I'm also going to include that any of the uh, WWE NXT folks who love going down for their beach parties and taking pictures. Oh, yeah, yeah, God, they love that. Um, I'm going to give honorable mention to um, Nia Jax and her group. I just don't like Nia Jax, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's fair. But I have a joint winner. Ooh. It's not Rob Van Dam, don't worry. Yeah, no, it's uh, too cool, man. I have two winners because I just couldn't discern between them and this is literally for a stupid idiot right um it is covid related but it's not necessarily covered related. i just think these these might be the two stupidest wrestlers in the world oh god i can't wait um, sharing the award between them it's pj black and flip gordon <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's good that's good Flip Gordon, like I only ever see his name when he's being, he's doing something stupid. <laughs> like I never hear. Oh, by the way, he had this great match. Um, that doesn't happen. Yeah, the two, two solid, uh, a solid joint winner there. Um, yeah. and finally we pass to Joe. A um, couple of honorable mentions. So just generally indie promoters and other promoters during COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, putting on shows uh, completely un- unadvisably. Like, who the fuck needs to shoot your shit indie show anyway? Like, no one wants to go to good year, let alone this year. Um, also, Edge. Edge, after the uh, WrestleMania match that you had with Randy Orton. Um, one of the most, one of the longest, the most, boring uh, experiences of, of the year and it was pretty fucking tough competition this year in terms of boring experiences but that match was awful and then afterwards he came out and was like oh, it's the greatest match ever it's the match. Blah, 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 defending the match and so and then they had the greatest match of all time or whatever it was called the next pay-per-view that was stupid um, but I'm going to give my uh, Chris Jericho stupid idea of the, award, of the year award to Mr. Vince McMahon um reasons for that are the huge layoffs they made during covid even though uh, they had tons and tons of money and didn't need to make layoffs they sacked lots and lots of people um during a pandemic where people were struggling and their livelihoods have been taken away uh, generally just the booking of wwe the the creative the everything the shows are all for uh firing uh, michelle wilson and george barrios at the start of the year the two people who actually probably 
were forward looking and th- you know wanted to move it to the network era and streaming and everything get rid of them the xfl lest we forget the um new iteration of that closed this year went bankrupt lost 50 million dollars left a load of people in the lurch um, a load of um, creditors who didn't get paid and finally uh, the twitch debacle oh yes um where he told all, all of his employees that basically you're not allowed to make any money, even though you're an independent contractor, you're not allowed to make money without my say-so. Using your real name and likeness, you have to do it through me. And for all those reasons, Vince McMahon is a stupid idiot of the year. But of course, it makes absolutely no difference because WWE made record profits this year, probably will again next year. He's going to get richer and richer. And that is how capitalism works. You don't have to actually be good. You just make lots of money. So congrats, Vince. I actually had honorable mention every wrestler who gave up their cameo or Twitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the the only non-stupid idiot is, is Zelina Vega. Uh, she stood her ground. So she's our, our legend of the year. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we will move on to uh, the Lex Luger Total Package Award for the overall best wrestler by any definition you see fit. The wrestler who has everything, who offers everything, or best offers everything out of the, the this year's selection. Uh, why don't you go first, Joe? Okay. Um, I've got quite a few honorable mentions here because I wanted to call out a few WWE people um, who I think have done a great job, but who I didn't really want to give the award to because I just haven't watched enough of that stuff this year. So, for example, Sasha Banks, I think he's had a great year, Bailey, um, Asuka, and overall Roman Reigns, who, you know, from the promos and the matches I've seen, is finally doing what we all wanted Roman Reigns to be, to be the badass who just comes out and beats people up and... Um, cuts through all the bullshit. Unfortunately, they, they didn't do that five years ago. They've, they've done it this year for some reason. But he was still great. Um, on the AEW side, I would say MJF has had a, a very strong year. Um, if we're looking at kind of the entertainment and the, the gimmicks and the character, but also, you know, a lot of great in-ring stuff. Uh, John Moxley, very solid year. Um, kind of as champion in the ring, some really compelling promos. Um Another honourable mention, and it was this is the person I probably came closest to giving it to, um, Mr. Kenny Omega, who last mm. year, lest we not forget, was flop of the year, my flop of the year, anyway. Oh, wow. So this year, I mean, he's been absolutely fantastic in the ring, singles and tag. And, you know, in recent weeks, he's developed this new kind of persona that's, the, you know, I thought was absolutely fantastic. I would say for the lot of the year, though, although he was great in the ring, he did kind of sail under my radar in terms of the character and everything. He was just kind of there, um, whereas Paige and the Bucks took more of the, the spotlight. Um, but the person I'm going to give my total package nomination to is someone who I think, you know, talking about total package, it's, it's the promos, it's the charisma, and it's the in-ring work. So this person didn't necessarily have... You know, all of the best matches of the year, but they had some really, really strong ones. Uh, was involved in some really good angles and some really good promos. Uh, it's someone who we unfortunately lost over Christmas. It's the total package of the year. You know what that means. It's Mr. Brody Lee. Wow. Excellent. Yeah, that's a, a great pick. And yeah, I mean, he, that's, that's kind of the... the... 
there are so many layers to the tragedy of his passing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, and the, the, I mean, the main ones are that he was a, a beloved family man. But it, it's it is crazy that it was at what felt like the real apex of his career. You know, um, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's proper in his prime uh, stuff. Getting all the character stuff down, the Cody moment which you bigged up earlier. I mean, that is that is one of the best moments of the year for sure. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great pick. Yeah. So I, I watched that match, that angle, and then he did a promo where he he. Um, set up the dog collar match, which was probably the best promo of the year. It was just fantastic. Mm. The intensity of it and the way he delivered it was amazing. And I thought he was just, he was just getting started in terms of like, um, yeah, as you say, going from being a kind of just a journeyman in WWE to, to really finding himself. And so, you know, the news was extra tragic, even obviously anyone dying at 41, it's incredibly sad with kids, but then for him to be, you know, have so much potential and start to realizing that as well was was incredibly sad. But yeah, um, he was there. He was on my shortlist even before that happened. Um, but I thought, you know, looking back at his work this year, he, he definitely earned it. Uh, yeah, it's a great pick. Um, for my uh, other honorable mentions, there, I think a lot of people you had mentioned. Uh, uh, Kenny Omega, Sasha Banks, um, Asuka, Roman Reigns, um, MJF. MJF is a good shout. He, I mean, he has, I think, actually over-delivered for, for a guy you don't consider a great wrestler generally when you list them off in your head. He, he has delivered on pay-per-view um, consistently. Uh, but for me, uh, for, for having a great run as, as champion and being a, a, a great prototypical ace, uh, great promos, great matches, great character, a, a cool factor that is otherwise missing in wrestling. Uh, my total package is John Moxley, mm. um, who I think who I think had a great year, and I think he carried AEW uh, on his back for a lot of it. Um, what about you, Paul? Do you want to close us out here with your total package? It's a, it's going to be a three way tie. We're going to have to decide. Ooh. I've gone. Honorable mentions on Moxley. Uh, I think Moxley did have a good year. I still, and maybe it's just a personal thing, but I still have reservations that his, his promos are just a little too rambly for me sometimes. Although lately, they, I guess they haven't been. But sometimes he has a tendency to wander. Um, Cody Rhodes, who won the award last no, year, yeah. I, I think he had. A, I think he still had a, a good, solid year. Um, especially considering the Brody stuff, that dog collar match was really great. Um, and the Darby Allen stuff. I think Cody might have been close to the top for me. I know none of us voted for him, but I think he had a better year than uh, we maybe give him credit for. He got his name back as well. Uh, Kenny Omega, Adam Page, Roman Reigns, what I've seen, Sasha Banks. Uh, but as I was sat on the toilet today with my pen and paper, um, I, yeah, I really take Total Package to be like everything. Eddie Kingston, honorable mention as well, by the way. Yeah. Promo, character. It's almost like all the all the individual awards we give rolled into one, you know? Yeah. Um. So my Total Package of the Year is MJF. Wow. Interesting. I think that's a very good pick. Um. Um, yeah. I think he, I think he stepped it up this year. Like, like Cody. Although I was gonna say Cody did last year, but Cody Rose was like was good for many a year before then. But l- last year stepped up. I think there were two people I had my eye on this year to see 
how they were developed. That was MJF and Darby Allen. And while I feel Darby Allen is still a total package contender of the future, I think MJF did make that that step up. I I didn't have it on an honorable mention. Um. But the MJF Jungle Boy match over delivered to the extent that I would consider like he could do it in the ring. His promos are like maybe he's like number two to Eddie Kingston promo wise. Um, but he's, in my opinion, far ahead of Eddie in the ring. Um, I think he had one stinker with Cody, but apart from that, he had a, a really good year in the ring. So he's for me. Hmm. All righty. Uh, in the in the tradition of the. Um of the show we all give our individual picks but we do pick one overall total package of the year and uh i'll, I'll be honest i didn't really think about it but i i i actually i like joe's pick of of mr Brody lee um i think that's uh that that is one of the one of the characters i enjoyed the most this year and uh i think even though he had a couple of months there in, in limbo after leaving WWE, you know, where before he, he showed up in, in AEW. Um, I, I think his, I think his work in AEW was tremendous and he, he, he picked up that stable. Do you know what I mean? On his, um, uh, on his back, he, ele- he ele- as we mentioned earlier, you know, he elevated the dark order, not quite single handedly, but almost single handedly from being a, you know, a joke to a serious stable. And he had uh, great matches, a great pay-per-view match with Moxley. And he had Cody, two great Cody matches, one of the most memorable angles of the year. I think that's a great pick, you know, and it's 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 a shame that, that we're giving it in these circumstances, you know. Um, but uh, I, I, I think that is a, a fair pick for the show. I, th- I think if I had to pick between your two choices, I'd probably go for MJF over Moxley. Um, although I do, like, I do like Mox a lot, I just think at times the rain's been a bit... Uh, to kind of just there, he's kind of just been a lot of ever present um, without the, the standout moments. But whereas MJF has had, you know, great moments, great angles. So if I had to, if I had to go for one of those, so I'd go for MJF. But Paul, what do you, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think Moxley has suffered a little bit by virtue of not having a kind of killer feud in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, he just had. Uh, kind of the Jericho feud at, at the start when he won the belt is maybe the closest he had, but that kind of was a spillover from 2019. Um, it was just kind of, he, he just faced a, a series of monsters of the month, including Brody Lee, but also, you know, Lance Archer and uh, Jake Hager. And I don't know, it, it to me, even though his quality of work was good, I don't know that he had, a, he ever had a, a really distinct direction and, and I think that kind of, to me, um, his work kind of suffered as a result. I, n- I never felt fully invested in what he was doing because it never felt like long term or substantial. Or um, and while Brody Lee's uh, stint was uh, short, well, it was equally impactful. And I think the his his um, presence will be kind of longer felt for the, the reasons we mentioned. I think the Cody feud was very notable if we only got kind of two matches out of it. One, albeit one, a very short match, and then the, I thought the dog collar, dog collar match was great. I think his he maybe, aside from the Omega match, I think he gave Moxie his best match of the year. Um, I thought that was better than both the Hager and Lance Archer matches oh. and the Kingston match. 
Um, so of the two, given the choice, I would probably go Brody as well. So by virtue of the second, uh, if I couldn't pick my own person, who would I pick <laughs> a vote? I think uh, I think it's two to one Brody over MJF. Okay. okay. And so uh, that that uh, caps off the awards there. We'll give the, the podcast's overall total package award to the late, great Brody Lee. And obviously we, we are kind of the last podcast out because we took so much time off there over Christmas. Uh, we're, we're kind of the last out here to talk about the passing of, of Brody Lee. But obviously um, I, I, I don't know what else really could be said beyond that it was completely devastating um, and horrible and unexpected and... And, um, yeah, and he was a, a, a tremendous, tremendous talent for years and years and years. Um, you know, perennially underrated and underused and, and uh, just coming into his own before he passed. Yeah, I usually, I usually wake up, I remember when Ultimate Warrior passed, for example, when I, when I wake up and I was walking to work and I'd find out on Twitter or whatever, but I was actually still awake because I was off work uh, when the tweet came out from AEW. I remember just there was like a moment of confusion. Mm. Like, what's this? It was just so unbelievable, you know? And so out of nowhere. Obviously, he had disappeared from TV. We didn't know why. Um, But yeah, I remember it was just like very suddenly kind of numb and just shocked shocked about it. Like, mm. um, a real big loss. But um, as, we, as we mentioned on the show, he... he even in his brief time there, he helped so many people. Um, you know, John Silver, especially, I think, is someone who has gone from like <laughs> a nobody to one of the most liked, most over people on the on the roster to like an Orange Cassidy level. Mm. Um, it's great to see him come out in the Brody League gear as well on that tribute. Oh show. yeah, yeah. That's very cool. yeah. Um, and then other people, you know, Anna Jay and Preston Vance and uh, Alan Angels and, you know, the likes of people who, without without the Dark Order uh, in its current incarnation, people who you wouldn't look twice at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, really, really sad. Really sad. Um, the tribute show was fantastic. It was um, poignant and... and, and uplifting in a way again it's very weird to kind of uh, talk in a positive way about a tribute show because we'd all rather not be watching it but it it, it was it, it was reassuring and it was it was heartfelt in a way that i actually thought um uh, in a roundabout way ended up feeling kind of positive if that makes sense mm. um which is kind of befitting his his legacy based on what his peers said about him which is another thing as well, as horrible as it's all been, I mean, the amount of stories that have come uh, pouring out, I think, have, have been have been pleasant and um, uh, something to take solace in. So, yeah, that's 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 um, that's that's really been the wrestling uh, story worth talking about for the last uh, two weeks. And I know you're all you all I'm sure everyone listening to this has been has been uh, watching and reading as much as we have. So. So, yeah, rest in peace to Brody Lee. Great man, great wrestler. Um, and our total package of the year award winner for a great, uh, a great year. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up there. 
for the week. We'll be back next week with um, more of your regularly scheduled programming, you know, in terms of the movie, the TV, the games, and a little bit of wrestling golf. But also, lads, get thinking. We're going to look at the score sheet for last year's predictions. Ooh. Uh, I did. First of all, I was worried they were lost, so I went and got them. They they are intact. I had a little. I had a little peer at them while I was making sure they were there, and they are quite interesting. Uh, are we all scoring zeros this year? No, 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 no. I do think you know you might be pleasant. There's some good stuff in there. Um, I love when we listen back, and it's like uh, Paul for the Royal Rumble winner. You picked Kane. <laughs> uh, he did not. Uh, he, uh, uh, Joe, you picked uh, Eric Escobar. Mm, I don't think so. Um, yeah, so, so we'll be doing that, and we will have a new slate of predictions questions. So I don't tell the lads ahead of time what the questions are going to be. I, I tweak them, and I do different ones each year. But what, what I would say is every year we do have our kind of miscellaneous thing where you can just put whatever you want uh, generic prediction for the year. So get your thinking caps on for that one. You know, what do you want for your 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 shot in the dark? Just you know, take a take a shot. Uh, so that'll be next week, along with all the usual games and features. Um, so until then, thanks very much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the awards. Um, we'll be back next week. It's goodbye from me, Barry. It's goodbye from Paul. Goodbye. And it's goodbye, from Mr. Joe Towner. Goodbye, everybody.